Welcome to Kilgallen's Pub, the podcast where I, comedian Joe Kilgallen, like to sit down with people, have some drinks, recreate that bar conversation we all know and love. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, that's at Kilgallen's Pub. Give it a follow on Instagram, we're now on Instagram as well, that's also at Kilgallen's Pub, where you can also follow me, at Joe Kilgallen. I'm Joe Kilgallen on everything. That's K-I-L, Gallon, kids. I'm on Snapchat. I'm on Instagram. Facebook. On the page. Don't go to my personal page because I don't post cool shit there anymore. Just on the actual page, which is just like my name with a blue check mark next to it. Easy to find. My website's joekilgallon.com if you want to come check me out. I will be uh, hitting the road a little bit there in September. A lot of Chicago dates, though, as well. I'm going to be in Cleveland on September 6th at the Winchester and Lakewood. And I will also be in Virginia at Star Bar in Roanoke. Roanoke? How do you say that? Roanoke, Virginia? I've got a couple weeks to figure it out. And I'll be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, September 13th through 15th at Dr. Grin's Comedy Club. Guys, i got a fun one in store for you today. Uh, as always, I want to start off by thanking some people. Thanking you for listening. Because without this, it's just a, a, a crazy moron talking into a mic, rambling about bullshit, drinking with his friends who are even there like, dude, you have a problem? Maybe? Maybe you got a problem? We're not really sure. But I got to thank uh, the good old people at the Laugh Factory for letting me record in their space. Also, I want to thank them for having me open for Theo Vaughn. Thank you to Theo Vaughn as well. Those were my shows over this past weekend. They were fantastic. So big shout out to Curtis and Brian at the Laugh Factory. Theo, you're a gentleman. You're a scholar even. You're, uh, you're an all-around great dude, and I, I appreciate you, man. It was, it was fun to work with you. And to watch, man, to watch that, uh, that hustle in real life is pretty badass, man. It's inspiring. Because I had worked with Theo Vaughn originally way back in 2011 when I was still just kind of new. And uh, he was you know headlining. He was still awesome, don't get me wrong, but hadn't blown up the way he has. So to see this rise over the last like year or so has been really incredible, you know? Uh, yeah, and his fans, damn, I want to thank all of you. You guys were amazing. Like, sometimes when you do a show where the headliner has a, a fan base, sometimes they're not, they're, they just want to see that person. They could give a shit about the openers. But you, you Theo Vaughn fans, you guys were ready to go from Jump Street, man. You guys were killers. And it was great to see. You always know as a comedian when the audience is going to be badass. I'll give you a little, a little behind the curtain here. When the person on the God mic, Whoever works the club will jump on the God mic. For those of you who don't know, the God mic is that, you know, someone that you can't see, hence the voice of God, comes over the PA, welcome to the club, and all that kind of shit. And they inevitably always do this to get the hype train going, where they'll say, now who's ready to have a good time tonight? And even if the crowd goes absolutely berserk, they're going to ask you again, right? Because it's their job to get you jacked up. You guys, the Theo Vaughn crowd at the Laugh Factory in Chicago over the weekend, when as soon as the person asked who's ready to have a good time, it, insane. You guys went nuts. It was loud as hell. And I remember just being jacked up waiting to go on stage going, oh, hell yes. This is the type of audience you want. They're, they're mad for it. You know what I mean? They're ready to go. I said mad for it because I watched an Oasis documentary recently. And I guess mad for it was like an expression used by people in uh, England in the 90s. Are you mad for it? Which I like. I think I'm going to try to use that. I'm going to bring that back. You know, all slang comes back eventually. I'm bringing back mad for it. Are you mad for it? And uh, I won't say it with a British accent, though, because it sounds, it sounds fucking cheesy. And I always screw up the British accent anyway. Sometimes I, I linger into an Australian accent or an Irish accent, and it's, it's shit. I'll be honest. Or it's shite. Depends how you want to fucking talk about it. That was, that was crap, too. So I'm going to stop right now. If you're a new listener and you're thinking, nope, turning this podcast off right now, bear with me. I'm going to stop doing bad accents. I'm not going to promise that, actually, because the moon might strike me again. You don't know. 
Anyway, just another big thanks to all those people. Also, if you want to write a review on iTunes, it goes a long way. I really appreciate it. If you would, I'll give you a shout out. I'll read your little review. And if you got something, if you want to throw in something you want to plug in that review, like, hi, my name's Bob. I, I sell I sell shoes on the highway. Come, come to Bob's shoes on the highway. I'll be like, cool, what exit, dude? And then I'll I'll give it a plug in the podcast. Whatever you got going on. Um, I'm trying to do a little side hustle stuff going on right now. I started uh checking out stuff on Facebook Marketplace and let go and offer up on all those apps because uh, I got the sense that people are underselling some stuff. And uh, I think I'm going I'm to jump on this train where I'm going to try to start flipping some things. So I'm going to have to let you guys know how that goes. But I have a problem that there are people on eBay who sell their shit so much undervalue that they're kind of ruining the scale of that. So I'm going to have to do some homework on how to go about that. I think you have to have patience. I think you have to put a product list in and just be like, all right, you know, when it sells, it sells. Because you can't, if you're, if you're every two days, you're like, it hasn't sold you, it hasn't sold you, and then you end up just going, fuck it, I'll, I'll sell it. If, if I make five bucks on it, I'll be happy. No, wait. Wait out the storm. Because I found this old Simpsons toy. Hold on. My dog is barking. Would you shit? Sorry about that. I got a dog that likes to bark. She's a boxer lab, and she's a little bit of a protector. And when any someone walks by the window, she feels the need to tell them to fuck off. She's got one of those barks that like escalates. It's like, and it gets like... And then it gets real quiet. Like it kind of got a quiet, loud, quiet thing going. Like a Nirvana song, perhaps, or Pixies, really. And uh, anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Son of a bitch. Thanks, dog, for ruining my momentum. I had good momentum to start this podcast, and you just totally sucked it all back in. Oh, side hustle, trying to sell some stuff. So I found this Simpsons toy of like that dude, Wolf something or other, who's kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type character, you know, like the bodybuilder guy, that I had bought when I was like 13 at a KB toy store, maybe I was in high school. I think I was in high school because I had a teacher who was a business management teacher that I took that class. It was like one of the few classes I did well in, in high school because I was like into it. And, uh, and he talked about like stuff that could be worth money down the road. And he brought up the Simpsons because he, he at the time thought maybe the Simpsons would go a couple more seasons and we know that's not true. But anyway, he just thought about the collectibles with the toys and stuff like that. He, that was his thing that he was banking on, or not banking on, it wasn't like he was putting his retirement into it, but he just mentioned it. And I remember being at like a KB toy store, which I don't even know if those exist anymore, and seeing one for like $4.99, because he said like, especially like the side characters, everyone's going to have a Homer and a Bart and a Lisa. You want to have like the ones that pop up in like, you know, a handful of episodes here and there. And I bought that dude. And I looked up, like, you could get it for, like, 10 bucks on eBay, but then some people sell it for, like, 40 on eBay or 50 There's different... eBay should almost regulate the price, which I know goes against it, but some people should be like, well, what the fuck are you doing giving this away? Because then you're screwing over everyone else and you're, you're decreasing the value. I don't know. That shit pisses me off. That was just a thing I wanted to run by you guys a little bit. Maybe hit at me. If you guys have been successful selling stuff on the side, this dude is selling NBA starting lineups. 45 bucks, there's five of them. So nine bucks each. And one's a Michael Jordan in the package still. That's the thing I realize it's got to be in the package. Because they, even if it's in perfect condition, if it's not still in the box, people are just like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, they don't feel like it. They don't know. You might have like some cooties on it or something like that. Who knows? That might be the deal. All right. Well, this podcast, though, I got to introduce the guest and then I'll just get right to it. I've done enough rambling up top for you. His name is Paul Farvar. He is a regular at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. Uh, whenever he's in, in L.A., he goes up to the Hollywood one, the Vegas one. The dude uh, travels around the country. He's uh, a worker, man. That dude's got a lot of hustle that I like about him. And we get into that because he's a little older. He started stand-up um, at an older age, so I feel like the comedians who get into it older 
always have like the, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I got to do this and do it right and think about it like a business. Whereas when you were like me starting at 22, you're like, I'm going to drink until 4 a.m. every night because I can. This is fun. I'm in my 20s. Anyhow, uh, but yeah, he was a lawyer. He still is a lawyer, but he, he left his law firm. He used to manage bands. He was a musician too. So he's got a cool backstory. And uh, yeah, man, I really, I really like this one. We talk about some stuff. We, do, we get into comedy a little bit, but then I try to bring it back so that you, the average person, not that anyone here is average. You guys are all spectacular in my eyes. But a person who's not in comedy, I don't want you thinking like, oh, they're talking inside bullshit. I try to make it so that you could relate to it in whatever profession you might be in as well. So anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, I want you to grab yourself a drink, drink along with us. Uh, this is Kill Gallon's Pub. Thanks for listening. What's up, everybody? Killgowns Pub here. I got Paul Farvar, comedian extraordinaire. I said it right? Yeah, it's funny. Kind that of. You've known me for a while, and you had to ask. Dude, I only it. double-checked, so because your name... But you've introduced me before as a host. As and I've nailed it, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. So, spell your name for everybody. F-A-R-A-H-V-A-R. It looks a lot more complicated than it is. Yeah, I know. H is silent. You know, my last name, Killgallon, people yeah. screw up constantly, even though it's phonetically pronounced. Yeah. It's weird. I saw the movie Something About Mary recently. Right. And, you know, they had the whole uh, Brett Favre, Favre, they were messing with Brett Favre's name, the famous quarterback. And then it was in my head. And then um, when you hit me up, when we talked earlier, uh, I hit you up, actually. What am I saying? You hit me up. And asked you if to do the podcast. Part of it over my brain started going, why am I feeling I don't know how to pronounce his name? I know. I've, met, I've known the guy for years. And anyway, though. It's funny because uh, sometimes people are like, yeah, man, I, I always just say it. It's, I go, it's Favre. You know, no big deal. And then... Uh, I don't know if I should name I'll say Sean Flanner. It's fine. We're friends. No, he screws up names all the time. Yeah, he goes, dude, I know, man. I've known you forever. And then he goes up. He goes, Paul Favre. Or he said something totally off. He fucked up my name for like six years. He kind of has like a drunk accent. Yeah, that's his thing. His accent, you wouldn't know where he's from, but you'd say that he's slurred. It's a little, there's a a hint of slurriness to it. Favahar. He called me Kill Gowan for a while. I think it's because he combined this comedian, Brennan McGowan, who's a Chicago comedian, LA dude now, and my last name, Mick Gowan, Kill Gowan, and he made me Kill Gowan. He's a, he's a character. Yeah. Uh, it's pouring outside in Chicago on my way yes. over here. And that's and why we were late. Yeah, we're a little. You were late. I was still on time. You're a pro. I'm a pro. Pro. Um, yeah. You're a pro. I'm it's not. time management, Joe. You'll learn about the it. The thing about older. it is, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll have to catch up to you there. Uh, I, it was like dark. I had like the shade. I didn't know it was raining. Yeah. And then my wife was like, because she got home a few minutes before. That's why I usually do it a little bit later at night. Because I don't know if you know this, listeners, but I'm like a stay-at-home dad during the day, comedian, podcaster at night, you know, kicking ass on all cylinders. And then uh, all of a sudden I saw that it was pouring, and I remember going, damn, I should probably shut up five, ten minutes ago. Plus Pearl Jam is in Chicago, playing at Wrigley Field just Mm -hmm. up the street. So again, no excuses. I own it. It's all right. I accept your apology. my fault. Thank you there, Paul. They don't know what time we started at. They had no idea. Are are you an umbrella guy? Because I see a lot of umbrellas, and I've never... Yeah? I usually am not. I didn't but even notice this one. Right I here. actually was in my car. I'm like, shit, I don't want to be late. And I was like, let me look in the car. And under my car, I had an umbrella. It's this isn't mine. I don't own. I've never purchased an umbrella, but I acquire them. Yeah, they're so, like. I feel that way about matches never and pens. I don't think yeah. I've ever or matches lighters. I've never bought a lighter or, yeah. or a pen, and I always seem to have plenty of them. I love. It pens. works out. I steal pens everywhere I go. Well, Bic makes them both. We yeah. should just go down to their factory. Well, I'm and rob a pen them. connoisseur. Like if something writes good, I'll just be like, hey, can I can I have this? Well, you were a lawyer, so it sounds yeah. like a lawyer thing. We'll get to that. I want to get to your okay. transformation from lawyer to comedian. Sure. And we could talk about your podcast as well. Yeah. 
I just have never been an umbrella guy because I'm not gay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just being an asshole, everybody. But it is. I. I it's here's funny why that you have to vain. say that now. But like, I know because most people you think people would just know been, I'm kidding. Yeah. I do that because we're two minutes into the podcast, mm-hmm. and any first time listener might be like, oh, "Is this one of those podcasts? Yeah. Some meatheaded white guy?" No, I'm I clearly forgot joking. Your name, around. yeah, and then they see your picture, they're probably like, "Oh, this is an alt right." I thing. I have the haircut. Yeah, I'm not going to let them steal that haircut though. No. Those uh, tiki torch Nazis. No, yeah. it's hey. This haircut's for everybody. I like your haircut. Cut in the sides, by the way. Throw it up front. You like my haircut? What? We're getting calls. Very good. Caller number. We got a, we got a request line. Right, real quick. In. I'm going to undo this. We're in the, an office. I've never heard this thing go off it in my life. Hold um, on real quick. Pause this. It took me a while to figure out how to unplug it, yeah. the phone, because I haven't dealt with an actual landline phone. <laughs> Since 87. Yeah, it's been a long time from that. Uh, I was saying I like your haircut, but... Uh, I told you that. Oh, the bit. The yeah, thanks, man. It. And you're thanks. like, I only do it when I get a haircut. I'm like, you can do it all the time. I have been doing <laughs> all the time. What the off. fuck did I do? I turned it. I thought I turned it off. Hold on. Let me help you. Just break the goddamn thing. No, they would People love that. The, the factory phone? office would there be a big go. fan of that. No, all right. Can... Yeah, you got the main one out. Yeah, I know. How to... I, I, I have office phones. <sighs> that was like some sort of uh, like uh, comedic gag we just pulled right you there. You millennials don't know how to use phones. We really don't, man. Are you... Comfortable saying your age? I don't uh, even know. I'm, yeah, I know I mean, you're. I I'm, I'm north, in my forties. So. Yeah, I know you're in your forties. Yeah. You don't have to say any further. I don't. I had Brian Babylon two weeks ago, and nobody knows his age either. I know his age. You know his age. Yeah, yeah. You guys probably talked about it. Uh, yeah, you guys are part of these comedians who you could play a, a million different yeah. ages. You know, I I don't. I didn't really have. Leslie with Jones it. was like that yeah. on SNL. Nobody knew her age until she joined SNL, and they kind of had to give it away for an interview. Yeah. Well, when People I like, turned fifty-two, Jesus. I yeah, my, my agent and a couple other people are like, don't say it on stage anymore. Like, because I used to just do a joke about when I turned forty, and then uh, and I did that joke for like another year. So it's like, yeah, some people said not to say it, but I mean, it, it when I did, t- I will say this: when I turned forty, I it was really weird how different I was treated in the comedy scene. Uh, like can, a lot of my friends, or? yeah, like oh, okay. a lot of my friends. I, at least maybe it was subtle, but or maybe it was it was uh, psychological in my head. But I was like. I was like, holy shit, like, because a lot of people were like, what? They felt so weird. Because, you know, I started late, and a lot of my peers or my class comedians were like a lot younger than me. So they were like, that's when it hit them. They're like, oh, wow, Paul's like, they got a you to buy an alcohol and stuff. Like older, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know what it's like. I'm not 40 yet, but it is something about age in the entertainment industry. But we are in the best genre of entertainment, stand up comedy. Yeah. Because there is no one path. There are so many great comedians that got late starts. I guess being a writer would be the only other really good one because there are famous writers who didn't publish shit until they're like sixty. Yeah. But anyone, anyone naturally with the whole television and movies thing, you're going to be a little bit like, am I young enough? Do I look? Do I? Am I too old for this? Have I? Have I? Has the boat sailed on this opportunity and all that kind of shit? It's just it just hits you when there's certain things you're like auditioning for, or you're meeting with people for your career, and then there's like. Like oh like you're not in, you're not going to be a new face. It's like yeah. I know. Are you talking about the new faces at Montreal? Yeah, but the, but all the thing is, they're ever, they did, yeah, but they every every work. every year, like maybe every other year, there's someone where you're like oh, that person's 37. Okay, yeah, yeah. but then you look at them, you're like Man, they look like they're 28. So yeah. that helps too. But at the end of the day, though, with uh, for those of you wondering, uh, this little inside comedy for you, the Montreal Just for Last Comedy Festival to get selected to be one of the new faces at the festival is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's lost some of its, its prestige, and maybe I'm saying that as someone who's never gotten it. <laughs> you know, I'm shaking yeah. it a little bit. I'm not, though, because I have 
close, close friends who have gone there and it's changed their careers and that's amazing. Absolutely. And that's what it should do. And then there are people who have gone there and it really hasn't changed their career. They've done it multiple times. Yeah, or, you know what I mean? And there are people who never got new faces who are doing amazing anyway. Yeah. So for every, that's what I, I, I used to get hung up on a lot of this stuff. Like, oh, I can't provide and get sure. this or I'm not getting this opportunity. And, you know, you, you start to like get real bitter. And then I just, you, you talk to enough people and you realize there is not one, you know, there's more than one way to hit a home run in this game. And the, the people to be like, well, I have to hit this by this stage or do this by this. No, you don't. Who the that, fuck told you yeah, any of that shit? It's all and it goes that way with life. I remember running into an old friend of mine and having a flashback to one time hearing him say in a bar, because he was like 26, going, I thought I'd been married by now. I'm like, really? 26? It's like, yeah, I thought I'd be married. When I was younger, I thought I'd be married by 25. Have a kid, I, you know. I figured I'd have like three kids by thirty, and then mm-hmm. blah, blah. I'm like, who? If you're listening, don't plan your life like that. Absolutely, it's too damn short. Go with it, right? There, there. Yeah, like two things you said resonates. Listen I, to Paulie, sixty-two. Yeah, he knows what he's like, <laughs> this wasn't on comedy. Wasn't even on my radar. You know, it kind of hit me. My best friend, I was in Vegas doing a show, and uh, he came out there actually for my fortieth birthday. I was doing the Laugh Factory there. And then all of a sudden, my picture comes on on the on the strip. Yeah, and I'm That's just nice. like, holy Tropicana. shit! And my friend's like, "How did this happen?" Because I always thought I was going to be a musician. I was a musician for a while. I was like, I thought what instrument? I played guitar and bass. You sing too, or no? I sing a little, but not well. Yeah, I can't sing for yeah. shit. But it's like, the one talent I would trade, I would trade comedy for singing in a heartbeat. Yeah, nah, I did. I I did that for. A shit. Ton well, then of you years. know, but I think but I would do it. Comedy's I, way better. I'm going to say um, it. I think I'd make a killer frontman. Uh, I don't know if I have the hair for it. I definitely have the swagger and the look, though, I feel like. Confidence, you do. The confidence, the confidence yeah. yeah. I don't know if I have the look. Are there any red? David Bowie's kind of a redhead. But yeah, um, I mean, you don't. You can't plan that shit. Like, I, I, this, nothing in my life has ever worked. If I pictured where I would be at my age, or even like when I was 35, I'd be like, this isn't, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. And it, in a good way. Like, I mean, I'm, this is a totally different direction. I thought I was going to go into politics. I thought I was going to be a musician. I had that for a minute. And uh, I mean, I worked in D.C. I like literally worked for Bill Bradley, Senator Bill Bradley. Oh, yeah. I worked for Obama on his campaign in, in 2008. And uh, it was a totally different life. I was like going to be this lawyer and all this shit. And then like comedy, you get the bug and you're like, fuck, this is, this is way different and way better. <sighs> for me, it was, uh, I did have a brief thought of politics. See, my grandfather was... Uh, you have the my, name? Yeah, thank you. My grandfather on my dad's side, Brian Kilgallen, the honorary, was a, a Cook County Circuit Court judge here in Chicago. So, and then my one uncle has his, uh, his partners in a law firm, and my uncle was uh, worked for the county and had human resources. So there was some little political stuff there, like connections-wise. Mm-hmm. And I got into politics during the 2004 election, could care less in the 2004, which was the first election I could vote in, I really got into. And then um, started watching the West Wing. And shit yeah, like that. that changed it. That's, and then, so I remember thinking, but the thing is, if I would have, I got into the West Wing when it was almost too late. If I would have known about the West Wing when I was in college, I might have tried harder. It would have been totally different. Because then I started thinking about like, all right, I am not a good student. I'm a terrible student. I'm not going to be able to have those college degrees that a lot of really fancy politicians have. So I'm going to have to think. Of, I haven't thought about joining the Navy for a while. Dear there was God. a time where I actually got Navy yeah. brochures sent to my house where I was like, hey, maybe I could do this. Because uh, again, my grandfather was in sure. the Navy. He was a judge advocate general. And because so then I, I thought I needed something to mix the fact that I'm not like some, you know, uh, road scholar or like whatever you know not that you have to be you, but to a, you have to have an interesting uh 
Well, not anymore. Because I got a matter. close friend who I mentioned last week on the podcast because uh, I had last week I had like my oldest friend in the world. We both went to public yeah, grade it. school together, and we brought up we talked about public schools and stuff. And our my one friend Pete is like a shining example of how you could come out of the public schools and be amazing. Because this dude's got he went to a Chicago public grade school, Chicago public high school, Lane Tech, which is a good school actually down the street yeah, from it's here. Yeah, really good school. And and then um, he's got like multiple degrees and went to the military degree from university graduated from university of chicago northwestern like all the top schools anyway though uh we are pushing him going dude you got to run one and he always gives us a look like yeah maybe one day i because his everything about him his resume screams political, political mm-hmm. served in the military um all you know all these degrees yeah. uh charity work he's started multiple charities you know he's for sure gonna do it i think Just so he's a police officer too yeah and when we got that job, we're like, "Well, what's going on there?" And he's like, "I want to serve the city. Everything That's I can do I to serve." I mean, when I was in high school, they, my friends used to call me senator because, like, I would get us, I'd get us out of trouble. I'd like be like, "All right, well, let me talk to the cop." Like when the cops would come to the parties, and like I just everything I did, I'm like, "Oh, I got, I can't do that." Like I don't want any pictures. Like and even my fraternity, I'd be like, "No pictures of me with alcohol because I'm going to run for." politics like and everyone's like you're a fucking idiot wow. and uh That's and now good, it's like it doesn't matter but oh, i yeah, mean there's so now. many that, things. those days are over yeah i mean and a lot of decisions i made in in college and high school were like motivated by the fact that i thought i was going to go into politics i guess that's so the one decent that's a, that's a that's a good thing that's come out of the uh trump administration if you're <laughs> if, if you if, yeah if you're 24 right now thinking that your political career is over because there's a picture of you in a three-way or something like that Nothing or covered matters. in vomit dude you're fine you're golden in fact man. it might help you yeah. it might actually because oh he's one of the common people now look at him yeah he throws up on boobs uh <laughs> so all right you were that into it damn that is that is next level thinking right there yeah where'd I mean, you grow up i grew up in uh well i grew up in oakbrook most of my life I know uh, that is, sure. in the suburbs but big we, mall out that way yeah we lived in lincolnwood till i was in third grade and then we moved to oakbrook which was a huge transition uh oakbrook is a it's like a very wealthy area in like lincolnwood it's we're north side grew up yeah. in chicago then i know where lincolnwood then is lincolnwood. yeah lincolnwood skokie right by each other That's good nice. area yeah totally and then, uh and then I grew up there, and like, um, yeah, I was like, uh, and where'd you go to college? Kid. You went to, I U of went I. to Illinois, yeah. Illinois. Right? My brother's there right now. Too, yeah. He's gonna be in his. He's, he's pre med though. He's going to his third year. I think he starts next week. He's going back. Or my brother went. To I went back there. this week for all I know. I don't know. Yeah, I should give him a call. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, cool, man. I'm happy to have you on. You're more of a whiskey drinker, and you're drinking beer with me right I'm now. I'm drinking beer because uh, I was just like, you know what? I didn't. I, I was in Grand Rapids this weekend doing shows, and I didn't drink all weekend. I had like one drink the whole weekend, so I'm like, fuck it, I, I can have a drink. Yeah, man, so, for sure. You've I usually it. don't drink during the week. Actually, I don't. It's funny. Um, before when I first started comedy, uh, I would always have to have a few drinks before I started. But then I watched a set of mine when I had it, my first time doing back-to-back shows, uh, like opening for someone or hosting for someone. And I, and I saw a video of me at the second show or the third show. And or actually, I think it was three shows on Saturday. And I was so fucked up. I'm like, I am never going to drink before a show again. Because like, you see so many things that I missed. Oh, you missed like, like whole punchlines and lines yeah, like, like that? Well, not just, I just missed opportunities to like make a joke better, like based on something that happened in the crowd or like just slurring and not like reading an audience, just being so cocky and drunk. See, I got into stand up because I could drink while doing it. Yeah. You know? Well, um, I mean, I used to do a shot. I remember before every show, I'd have to have at least I've one seen shot. you do shots before yeah. shows. That's why I was a little surprised to hear you say you don't drink during the I week. haven't, no, I haven't, I haven't done it. I haven't drank before. I haven't drank. Before a show or during a show since like probably four or five years, except the nasty show at Laugh Factory. I'll get fucked up for that. That's just fun. 
Yeah, I mean, if there's certain audiences, you just really need to, you know, soak yourself in some booze before you head out there. I hear you though about slowing it down. People have always asked me, "Do you get drunk when you perform?" I go, "No, I don't get drunk because you want to be in the moment." I definitely have a couple beers to take the edge off. By a couple, yeah. I mean I'll have one. I'll probably have two a show, two per set. Yeah. I'll have one like when I arrive at the club. I'll have one before I go on. And I'll finish that before I go on, and then I'll have one while I'm on stage. It's very rare that I'll even finish the beer. And maybe if the set's going really long, if I'm doing like a, if I'm headlining, I'm yeah. doing about 45 minutes to an hour, then I'll maybe finish it. But for the most part, if you're doing like, you know, 15 minute sets at the Laugh Factory or, or any club, that, or you know, or if you're yeah. featuring doing like showcase sets like 2025, 20, you're really, you're talking too much. I mean, you'll, you'll take the sips in between. I think it's very satisfying. And I wish people at other jobs could experience what we're talking about here. <laughs> like, you know, when you have that killer, when that joke kills, everyone's dying, and you know it's going to be you like a long laugh, and you just take that sweet victory Wait. sip, yeah. and then, you know, it's your way of waiting. And by the time you're done with that sip and you put the beer back on the stool, the audience has come down a little bit, and now it's time for that next bit. I love that. You can do it with water, too, Joe. Uh, but it's, nobody celebrates with water, Paul. What is this, it's the not, third world? Yeah. Come on. Well, they like water there. They yeah, um, they need it. We should give them some water. We should. We should, we should you should be one of those types of lawyers. <laughs> so, what was it for you that made you finally say? Because you do you stop being? Do you still do lawyer? I stuff? still practice a little bit. You but still I, practice. I left my firm. I left my firm. I was a partner at a firm. I left uh, in 2016. Were you firm in your decision? I was a partner. Oh, <laughs> I'm so stupid. This Sorry, why man. I know Rena should be on this one for this the. This is puns. why you shouldn't drink during a podcast. I know. Um, say cheesy shit like that. <laughs> no, I just, I just. Uh, I uh, I miss performing. I was doing music. I stopped performing live bands in 2011, and that's when I started doing comedy. What kind of band were you in? I was in. Well, the last band I was in was called Becky Likes Tigers, and we were a cover band of what we were called a super group, where it was like all local, all local musicians. <laughs> okay. Well, they were bit. Sorry, I mean, I'm Chris, laughing. It's just funny. So you know, it is funny. I was the only one that wasn't in a band, but we because had like, you're a cover band that's a super group. Well, were that, you covering a super group? No, no, no. The other guys were all in original music. This was like oh, their side I project. Oh, yeah, this just was for fun to cover my main project. Yeah, because I was like, I used to manage bands and produce the bands f- through my music company, and uh, we uh, we would just like pick twelve songs, and we all had to play one song on an instrument that we're not normally like i played bass a lot in that band because i was guitarist and then our guitarist played harmonica our our drummer had to play like we just switched around and you'd go to all the street fests like we would be like the middle slot like at three o'clock we'd be doing like tom petty or whatever but oh that's cool before that i was in like what what original music was like sissy songwriter stuff like Singer songwriter, sassy ballad stuff, sissy rock, like college rock rock is what I called it. And give an example of a band that you'd be similar to that with the listeners could put it together. So, the first band I was in, first real band, I was in a bunch of early bands that I wouldn't call real, but the first like recording artist I was in was called Shushan Boy, and we were. A singer-songwriter band, our singer Jocelyn Baker, was compared to like Cranberries and like 10,000 Maniacs. Okay, cool. So now I can visualize that. Yeah. And she actually, Dolores Rudin voice? Yeah. We, you can buy our, or listen to us on Spotify for free. We just got signed to a vintage label like 20 really? years after the release of the album. Yeah, it's fucked up. So you're going to go back on tour with them no. or do some dates now? We were going to do You're the a, bassist, right? You could be replaced. I was the, guita- I was the lead <laughs> oh, guitarist in that okay. band. Uh, do you songwrite at all? I, I wrote all the songs on that album. How about it, man? Yeah. To get royalties from that, at least. I do get royalties from that. And we got a deal. We got money for the thing, too. So we had a we had a reunion show scheduled at uh, at Shuba's in, 90, in 2017 because it was 20 years from, from our debut. And uh, I had to cancel it because I have like no 
calluses on my finger and I couldn't remember any of the songs. It was 20 years. Yeah. And I drank, I mean, back then they I didn't drank just, a lot. No one could fill in for you? Well, I was the main guy, man. The oh, so without you, it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't know if it was because she's the singer. She's the singer. So there are some bands that, you know, replace a guitarist here or there, but the songwriting just doesn't the get replaced. Glue. I was the one that. You were well, the straw that stirs the drink. I wasn't the like greatest musician in the band, but I would like create the sounds and i'd like make sure we had shows the like, songwriter like is typically the boss you know i was just watching i've mentioned my affinity for the band oasis a few times oh, on yeah. this, and i was i rewatched the documentary supersonic that came out in 2016 which was their which was 20 years since they had this legendary gig in nebworth england in which they performed for I think half a million people in two days or something. I think it was two days after, of 250,000 after, uh, after Morning Glory. Morning Glory. So there was their second album. Yeah. They, it was pretty insane. They released albums back-to-back years because uh, what's the first one called? Definitely Maybe came out in 94, and then Morning Glory came out in 95, late 95, 95. So then yeah, almost spring 96, yeah, yeah. It was, or August of 96 is when this big gig was. But Yeah, that when Champagne Supernova hit, then people went back and, and got the other one. Yeah, well, Definitely Maybe was huge in England and yeah. the UK, but never... The crossover was... Uh, the second album. Well, it's really funny. We covered Champ. I mean, that's you guys. That's yeah, because you t- yeah, you have a music podcast too. Yeah, two guys, one album. We did that album. I think we did Morning Glory. Glory. I'm a diehard. I've become a really. Big- I liked Oasis in the '90s. You know, when I was in grade school, because I was in. I was not to make you feel young or old here. Uh, <laughs> in '94, I was nine, going on ten. It's so like when Kirk Cobain died. I was nine, and uh, so that whole like m- you know mid '90s kind of a pretty sweet golden era of music. 40. Looking back. Uh, you weren't 40, shut up. <laughs> um, uh, with the Oasis and you know Nirvana, and we were talking about Pearl Jam yeah. earlier. Smashing Pumpkins were huge at the time, especially Pumpkins in Chicago. Pumpkins are, are one of my favorites. Yeah, they're great. And uh, But Oasis I liked. I had Morning Glory on CD. I think I got the next one on CD, and then kind of just stopped listening to music because I got into women or something. I don't know. Women, girls, <laughs> what am I talking about? They're 13, 14 like me. But I remember there was a big, there was a period in my life there where I was super into music, like wearing band t-shirts. Remember yeah. I had a Nirvana t-shirt, a Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. I was like really into it. And then right around going into eighth grade, I kind of stopped. And then I didn't get into music again until like four or five years later. Like in high school, I probably bought two albums in all of high school. Well, that's because, I mean, I was the same way. I, uh, I, when I got to college, I stopped listening to a lot of stuff because I was just, I was just busy. You yeah. Know, I was doing a bunch of shit. But in high school, like... I was really into like the counting. I was into Counting Crows. I was into like Pearl Jam. I mean, that's. See, I mean, in high school, I still listened to all the stuff I listened to in grade school. Yeah, yeah. So I still listened to Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Oasis and Pearl Jam. But I didn't appreciate Oasis like I do now. They have so many B sides. I tell people like their B sides sh- should have been A sides. Like they had so many, and even their later stuff, I, I dig more and more now. I think at the time they just. There's a whole thing about how they never really hit that big in America besides Morning Glory. That album was big. I mean, it's obviously Wonderwall, Champagne Supernova. But it pisses me off because I'll see people arguing music and someone will say, Oasis, oh yeah, Wonderwall and Champagne. I'm like, you say that like they only have two songs. Well, a lot of people. They have so many songs. I like them too, but a lot of people, did, like, they blatantly were considered ripoffs of like the Beatles and shit like that. Yeah, but you don't, don't you find that to be kind of bullshitty in a way? I mean, it's funny now because you have bands like Greta Van Fleet who are like blatantly Led Zeppelin. Yes, and, they definitely. Uh, and but back then, like people, when the was, weekend is ripping off Michael Jackson, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, of course. But but back then, people were very sensitive. I mean, like it was that it is was, true. It was a different time. I think I mentioned this last week on the podcast. I'm listening to this '90s podcast. It's not '90s. It's a music podcast. It's like the history of music. Marty DeRosa turned me on to it. I'm trying to see if I could find the actual name of it. It's with some Canadian dude. I don't know where the hell it is. I can't find it right now. But uh, 
it's it's fantastic. And anyway, Corey um, Hart, he's from Canada. No, it's not Corey Hart. It's some dude. He's got, it's a really well produced podcast. It makes me think I need to add some more stuff to this one. <laughs> At least some segments here or there instead of just rambling nonsensically. I think that's part of the charm of Killgown's Pub, though, everybody. And anyway, in the podcast, he talks about like uh, the 90s as a decade where you don't really appreciate history until you're farther removed from it. He talks about how transformative the 90s was. 90s music, I will fight anyone. That's, I mean, there was so much good music in the 90s. I still listen to the 90s like music. That, that 90s hip-hop and rap were fantastic. Yeah. Tupac Lauren and Biggie. Lauryn Hill was in 1999. Yeah, that, that was counts. great. So even she was with the Fugees, Fugees yeah. who were way bigger. One of the greatest albums of all time. Um, yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of like bands that didn't really hit it, but I remember I was a, I hate Pearl Jam now, but I I fucking when Pearl Jam Nirvana people were fighting, I remember they were both playing at Lollapalooza. I was like, Pearl Jam's way better. Yeah, and people would be like insane Nirvana fans. I know you're wearing a Nirvana shirt. Oh, well, I didn't like, even realize because I have like four or five. Yeah, I totally forgot I'm even wearing one. But I wasn't a huge Nirvana fan, and uh, and you I weren't or you were. I was not. You were I mean, not. I bought all the albums. That's I thought fine. They were, yeah. You had to, but I mean, Pearl not everybody Jam has was, good taste. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I just I think and and I think another thing that came up recently, uh, people forget that back then, uh, the Smashing Pumpkins and Counting Crows in that same year. Uh, smells like Teen Spirit was doing so great, uh, or never mind. I mean, those those were the three biggest hits, and then Kurt Cobain died, and then all of a sudden people forgot about Adam Duritz and and Billy Corgan. Yeah, you know the Pumpkins though. I, thought, I still their best. They had a renaissance or a resurgence, I should say, renaissance a resurgence with Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. But obviously, See, Gish like and Siamese album. Dream were yeah. really big. See, Siamese the, Dream is one of my favorite. That was their. I think that's their best album. Um, Melancholy and Vincent has got the most Grammy nominations and all that stuff. Yeah. Because they had Tonight Tonight and they had Bullet with Butterfly Wings had a really great chorus and Zero had a good, good guitar riff. 1979. What I liked, what I appreciate about Corgan there was he showed his range. They, they, I mean, yeah. every other song had, was different. And what I liked about Nirvana for the same reason was each of their albums kind of had a different sound to them. And listening to Nirvana now, which you, if you have an alternative station in your town, you're going to hear Nirvana songs. It was. It's amazing. Well, now it's a classic. It's still, it's, now it's on classic. Yeah, but rock. I still hear it. It's on classic rock, and it's also on regular rock stations yeah. now too. And what I, what sticks out to me about Nirvana is Kurt's voice in the sense that he didn't do that thing that I now realize is very grunge '90s, where they the movie Ted makes fun of it. Remember in Ted where he talks about how every singer in the '90s like would uh, uh, you know uh, st- stretch out the vowel sounds like he at one point he goes hey oh you oh, like, like he six does letters like, yeah. yeah where like Pearl Jam six syllables Eddie Vedder great voice but definitely would do that all the time flow. like yeah. you know he, I can't sing everybody Dabba, I apologize Dabba, Dabba, Dabba. Yeah, yeah but you know just kind of stretch it out and Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots did that Chris Cornell did that where they would really just belt it out and kind of do that yeah Kurt didn't and I'm, I don't maybe well, he, he had the vocal from his stomach like he did yeah that's why he had stomach issues so that's true and look but looking back i feel like that's why nirvana's music still stands the test of time better than those other bands do because if, if you didn't know like nirvana or the 90s grunge scene at all and i put on like a song like lithium and told you oh this is a new single it just came out yesterday from this new band and you had no ne- recollection you'd probably be like oh cool yeah it sounds pretty good yeah i like it but then if i played a pearl jam song You'd be like, this shit sounds '90s, man. Yeah, like you know what I mean. I feel like well, those they, bands, but, but all those bands in Seattle Nirvana. were like ripping off the Melvins too. A lot of them so, were, except for yeah. The thing is, that's and in true. That time like all those people, the like, Melvins Screaming lacked trees. some melody though. Screaming Trees had some fun tricks. They had tracks. great stuff. Soundgarden, all that, all those bands. Temple, Temple of the Dog, Nelson Chains. I forgot to mention. Allison they're another Chains. one. That was a Seattle sound was really big, and uh, I remember like at that time. 
anything that came out of Seattle, they were signing all those labels. Yeah, that's part of the thing they talked about what made the 90s such a cool decade in a way was because the record industry had so much money yeah. because of CDs. Because CDs were so cheap, they were charging a shitload for them. I mean, really, so $15.99 was expensive. And I remember buying the Smashing Pumpkins double album, I think it was like $24.99. Yeah. Like, which is like, well, what are we doing? I would find the deals at Flipside or some weird shit. Yeah, you were cool like about that. I was still too young to realize that you could actually look for deals. And then I started, I mean, there was like a music recycler where I bought used stuff after a while. And uh, so they had all, all these people were buying... Um, Albums they already owned on vinyl because they had to transfer it over. Yeah. You know, and so they were just flush with money to the point where they were like, all right, let's just sign up all these bands from Seattle. And they still do that shit, though. Whatever the new sound is, they go find me someone else who sounds like yeah. that. When the Illumineers were A&R big. people are just, all they do is like try to find people that are already big. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I did. That's entertainment industry in general. They're fucking lazy. Well, that's what, so before I did law, I had a music company where I managed bands and we would shop, lab- we would shop to labels. So I would get these artists, I'd manage them, I'd play with them. Like a lot of our, some of our acts got signed to like Aware Records when John Mayer came out. That sound that I was producing and that I was playing in was huge. Singer songwriter stuff, and I work with a guy named Dan Dara who's really big in Chicago. He, I mean, he played House of Blues a bunch and Shubas. He used to sell out, and uh, he got signed to Aware Records. Like the compilation thing, which was a huge thing. That's how like Matchbox Twenty and like Hootie and the Blowfish, they all got discovered that way. John Mayer got discovered that way. Jack Johnson, all those guys. So. So I was like, that's all those people were looking for. Jason Mraz actually was the You're guy. naming all these artists that um, I'm not really big fans of. Oh, I hate, it's, it's I definitely, fucking hate all that Oh, you stuff. did? Okay, yeah, cool. Because yeah. I'm like, man, this is I definitely all, all the stuff shit. where it's just guys singing to get laid. You well, know what I mean? I will say when John Mayer came out, uh, he's I a great guitarist, album, though, and he's a great guitarist, and I do listen to him still. But like, then I just couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand Matchbox Twenty. I couldn't stand. Couldn't stand there it. was a few of those. Ba- it was Hooting just the too. Hooting the Blowfish. It was just too like um, music that your Fret mom rock. and and your like it's like your mom listens your to. Your aunt to me. was listening to it, and she and thinks she's cool. She's yeah. like, "This is new. Look, I listen to new music. I mm-hmm. listen to Matchbox Twenty. You're like, Rob gross, Thomas, yeah, right? Like, yeah." Jason but, then, but at that same that. time, that, like just before that time, there was amazing music that was coming out that never, never made it. Like Buffalo Tom is a great band from the '90s who I'm like a huge fan of. Yeah, you know, I got a friend who recommended them, not and that they're long so ago. good, and they just never hit it. And then like Blind Melon. If I go know, through the notes section of my phone, Blind Melon I liked a lot too. I could, I'll probably find Buffalo Tom right now because remember hanging out with so a buddy of mine going, "Give me some bands," because I, I, I was like in a a real. They were a '90s sound shit. band that people fucking forgot about, and then they actually they back. just did a resurgence they're playing in metro and i'm bummed that i'm gonna be out of town to to, to well that, miss that's the show, a bummer man really good well that's what comedy you miss so m- i used to go to so you many do. concerts but i miss so many great shows now you miss you know a lot of people you know we were talking about the fun part of a job and that's why i like to have the drinks because not that you know again and i know i have a podcast called kelly pub but i'm not like you know i don't believe i'm an alcoholic i know i'm not because i i don't drink every day i don't get dr- fun- I use- you can be a functioning alcoholic. yes when i was in my 20s though i felt like maybe i was flirting with it a little bit because <sighs> i was definitely- i didn't have responsibility wasn't married didn't have a kid like i do now and all that didn't have a family to, to you know look out for and you know we talk about how people are out there trying to set up their life i want to do this by this stage this by this stage my 20s was just I get to do stand-up comedy in Chicago, the city I love yeah. and grew up in. This is insane. This is awesome. And I was just in, in it for the thrill of it. And I never, I didn't put on my business hat. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. I didn't think about for forever. Right. I didn't even have a good headshot when I finally needed a headshot. Because for a while, you're just doing local shows and no one gives a yeah. shit. And I, I remember doing like a club for the first time. They're like, we needed your headshot. I had a buddy take a picture of me in an alley who had no <laughs> skills at all. We just turned into black and white to make it look nice. Yeah. 
you know, it was no shit. It was total shit. Like, and then we we printed out my name Joe Kilgallen, and then put it over the picture, and then photo printed that. Well, like it was so bootleg and bad, <laughs> and bootleg. Yeah, it was. Just, it was just. It was. It was very amateurish. But because we didn't care, and then, and then I got lucky. I was fortunate enough to just fall into situations where the right people liked me enough to be like, "Hey, come over here and hang." Like. Hang out at this table, almost yeah. like a high school thing. I was like, hey, come over here. It was kind of funny for me because, uh, you know, I came into the scene already older. Because I feel like, well, that's the difference, though. When you come in older, um, I've noticed people who leave successful careers to go into comedy. Sometimes I feel like you, you might have thought, Paul, when you first came into this, man, I'm at a disadvantage because of my age and all that stuff. But then you are so much smarter in life experience that you have more to draw from material-wise, and you get that it's a business. Yeah. And you think to yourself, if I'm going to quit being a frick fucking lawyer to go do stand-up comedy, I can't just be dicking around drinking till 4 a.m. Right. every night like all these 24, 25-year-olds like I was. I was a 25-year-old who was out till 4 a.m. every night, sleeping 12 hours a day, or that when I had a day job throwing up and at yeah, work yeah. and stuff like that you know well, i did all that i mean that's what i did yeah, when you did I that when you were in the band yeah. there you go so so I, I i i was taking it seriously and i wanted to to get good but yeah i mean uh when i was in my 20s like you i was i was drunk every day and you don't realize how much you drink until like i i had ulcers for a year well, and i couldn't drink nice. for three months and it, you don't when you're drinking every week from like thursday to saturday you don't remember the last time. What's you an ulcer drink. feel like, dude? It sucks. I stomach issues. It sucks. To but go, you get those from stress and from not taking care of your body. Oh, look, I told you, Boxer Rebellion, Buffalo Tom, TV on the radio. TV on the radio is great too. Yeah. I've seen them live. Yeah, I knew I'd find it. Um, that was a note I found from December 2014. Everybody on my phone. And I don't know why I did that. Just I've got all their I wanted, CDs. To, I wanted to prove to, to Paul that I was cool. I guess. No, I uh, I was drinking. Uh, you know. It was like three years ago. I used to do a lot of material about it too, but like when I couldn't drink, uh, you're like you forget how hard it is, and uh, and then I got used to it. So then I like, and that's when I came back when I was allowed to drink. After that, I would. Uh, it was like three months that I wasn't drinking at all, and uh, I, it sucked. Like you you forget how your body, and then you have one drink and you're fucked up. Like my tolerance went to yeah, shit. Yeah, it does which is great. But then uh, I couldn't well, drink it's certain. It's cheap yeah, to be a- I couldn't drink certain things. I couldn't do shots anymore. Um, I switched to whiskey and ginger. Real quick, I, I cut you off there. No, because it's something You're I was going to say. Uh, what do you call? Well, because you know we're talking about how earlier when I said I don't, I don't use umbrellas because I'm not gay. Uh, <laughs> See, my brain is saying, say, you're just kidding again because you never know who's... No, you guys know I'm fucking kidding. But then I was going to say when you were like, oh, man, after one beer, you start to feel it. And I was going to say, oh, it's cheap to be... Uh, and my brain was like, two beer queer? But I'm like, it's 2018. You can't oh, yeah. say two beer queer I never anymore. heard that same before. You never, heard that? That. you never heard that one before? No. That's what you call someone who's got like a lightweight called a two beer queer. Racist. It doesn't sound racist. It sounds homophobic, I think is what you meant. Oh, well, uh, agree to disagree. Well, what's the same new one? drunk. I had one beer. We're a couple comedian right? comedy writers. We've got to come up with a, a new phrase. You can't say two beer queer anymore. That's not nice, I suppose. Two beer softy. Mm, you got to say like a... Can you say sissy still? A one shot. I don't know. i got to come up with a fucking rhyme. I'm not good at rhyming on the spot. I was never good at freestyle rapping. Well, the one time I was hammered, I started freestyling. People were like, "Dude, it's actually really good." I'm like, "Was it?" Were they saying that, or were they? Were they? Maybe I was so drunk I believe that. And that's another thing. When you start stop drinking, don't ruin uh, it for me, man. I feel like that was my reality. <laughs> you stop drinking because I watched my sets. I'm like, "Dude, I crushed that show." And then you'd watch it. You're like, "I need to get better as a comic." Because well, there's you another watch difference between you and me. 
you were watching your sets. I don't. I wasn't watching. I wasn't recording I was shit. I wasn't watching shit. So I noticed, like, like Pat McGann, great comedian, has been on Letterman oh, yeah. multiple times. He's, he's the reason I. He's actually the biggest influence on my life when I first started. Really now? Yeah. Okay. Well, we we'll get to that in a second. I just want to tell the listeners whose name I'm dropping and why. Uh, like he was on Letterman twice within Letterman's last eighteen months of being yeah. on the air. He's been. Uh, he was on Colbert not too long ago. He's on tour with Sebastian Maniscalco, who's one of the biggest comics in the country right now. Sebastian gave him a fantastic. shout out in his book too. I read his book. I believe that. And uh, and McGann's he's a great joke he writer. He's a great performer. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's awesome. He left a teaching. I think he started stand maybe like thirty. He started later. Yeah. Twenty nine thirty maybe. He's been in it for ten years. He's yeah, he's, he's about, about right. forty he's now, over, right? Yeah. He's forty one, I think. Okay. And he's been doing it for about ten years. So yeah, he's probably started when he's like thirty thirty one then. But I remember he left a teaching job, and I could tell when he started. He right away was like had his eye on the prize this yeah. is what i gotta do i mean it wasn't like he wasn't not i mean he wasn't yeah he wasn't hanging out to four ambars was because he also had a family but i could tell the people who start a little bit older and are who leave successful careers to do this don't go into it like kids at camp yeah. like some of us do where we're like i just was i just was so happy that i was spending my 20s doing that i was working at being a great comedian but i never thought okay I need to get clips of myself up. I need to start like putting things together. I need to, I I was good enough where I knew how to get on shows and how to get invited back to shows. And then I did that with clubs. So I kind of worked it where I think when I got laid off from a job in 2011, I started doing comedy full time and I was able to actually make a little I was I was paying my bills fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was living cheap. That helps. It helps to live cheap. Um and not eat, but you know, <laughs> uh, I was able to, to swing that. And then I was running a trivia night and an open mic, so I had those Mondays and Tuesdays. Right. I was getting solid income there. And then on weekends, I was doing different clubs and whatnot. And uh, I tell people, I mean, you can do this, but you do have to kind of have that business sense. I feel like you came to it with the business sense. I know that about you. Well, I, ca- I came from the business sense because I used to manage bands and play in bands. So, a lot so you're of that telling me it's crossover. more from that than it was from the lawyer. Yeah, the okay. lawyer stuff a little bit in the sense where. You know, just common sense. Organization. Like dealing right? with people. Yeah, okay. and time management. Like, that to me is the biggest asset I have. Because when I was balancing three different jobs, uh, my music company, lawyering, and comedy, I would have to manage my time. And I couldn't fuck around. And so, like, now when people, like, you know, I'm, book- I'm producing a show with other people. I'm like, hey, do you have time to do this? We, like, break up stuff. And, like, oh, I got to do this. I'm just like, dude, it takes five fucking minutes. I'll just, instead of just telling someone, to, I'm like, I'll just do it. It's Because I'd rather just get it done. Get it done. You know? But that part is true. But, um, but yeah, as far as, like, being older, uh, I got passed in clubs before I got, like, bar gigs. It was kind of weird. Pat McGann, I feel like, was the same way. Pat McGann was the guy who I... People didn't know who I was... And I was like, I was like, wait a minute! Like I've already been passed at all the clubs in Chicago. I've done shows in other towns where they've asked me back, but I would like ask to get on like a local show, and they're like, oh, you know, whatever. There's certain shows in Chicago. I've been doing comedy for over seven years in Chicago, and I haven't done like a lot of shows. And people are like, you've never done so and so. Which like, show? Name them right now. I'm we'll not tear them down. Call them out. No, Why not? I'm, I'm not gonna do right. that. But well, and it's, and it's not like a, been known for calling people out. What's that? This not, podcast <laughs> has been known for calling people out. But uh, not, I don't, not that. I, I will say your guy, your comedians, you should know, have had me on. I think multiple times, and I, that first time I did that was like one of the greatest cool. experiences. You want to host it this week? Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Actually, I can't give that spot away. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did it last week. It was really fun. You were on the show last week. I was on the show last week. It was obviously very memorable. But uh, yeah, I, I was on it. It was me, um, Alex Dragovich. He did his first one. He crushed. Was that two weeks ago? 
Was it two weeks ago? Yeah, it wasn't last week. Right. I'm like, I was there last week. I don't remember seeing you. I closed it out last week. Oh, yeah. You it wasn't there. great. It was fine. It just, no, uh, I wasn't there for I don't know, man. Right, I've been doing right. that. See, this comes out on Wednesday. We're recording Monday night, everybody. Ooh, a little behind the curtain for you. The math is wrong. And, My uh, math was wrong. That's totally cool. I'm supposed to host this week, but I also have a show I'm doing out in the burbs. So I'm going to definitely be walking in like right when it's time to host. And I know the other producers are going to be flipping out when they... I'm not telling them. How long have you been doing that show for? It's 10 years now. Right? Uh, 10 years, Community Show has existed as a group or as a, as a show. It's only been eight years. It's been over eight years at Timothy Tools. We started Timothy Tools in January of 2010. Okay. And, uh, so, so you've only had it for eight years? At O'Toole's, yeah. But I've only, I've only been part of it for eight years. But it was before that. It was Yeah, there was a, I, wasn't, I wasn't part of the original c- group. Um, it was at this bar called Fizz. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I remember Fizz. And it did um, some monthly shows at the uh, Lakeshore Theater, which is now where we Laugh are right Factory, now, yeah. the Laugh Factory, because Lakeshore closed and the Laugh Factory swooped in, helped save the Chicago comedy scene. So it's funny. When you guys, when I started comedy, uh, Chris Bader and I would produce our shows and we would like make our names like for our shows like other comedians you shouldn't kind of see. Like we would purposely make fun of you guys. Not like just subtly because we're like you guys are so mean to us. Like you wouldn't book us. We're like, all right, fuck it. We'll just. But you shouldn't have. We were like a year in. Because we're a year in. But uh, also I tell people this shit all the time. I mean, I I need to tell people But we were always like we booked all you guys on our shows. But it was like, I forgot what we called it. But it was like other comedians that are. Good. I'm cool with people making fun of the name. I didn't like the name at first. No, we weren't making fun of the name. We were making fun of the concept. I love it. the name now. I think it's a great name now because it's. I, I look at it. I view it with like a hint of cockiness. No, it's a great. Comedians it's you a, should know. It's a great like, name. What's up? Uh, I tell people this lately, and this doesn't go to you two because you two, you and Bader. I love you. I love both you guys. Uh, there are some people who, like you were saying, we, we weren't booking you, and there are some people who, for a while, were like. Uh, like I've heard whispers. No one's ever come up and said it to me directly because I'm not that guy. I wish I was. I wish I was more approachable. I got to work on that. You that they don't like our booking procedures, or they, you know, I liked we, you. I liked your old booking procedures. To be honest with you, yeah. I you don't know, know now. What they you think guys are I don't doing. know. I don't know if they think we're too hard on our booking or too strict or whatever the hell we do. Look, we only book the best of the best in the scene, and. I don't know. I don't know. I've just I've heard like whispers from people who have said, "Oh, so and so's there," you know. And I don't care, but I tell people this all the time because uh, it's a big deal now to be on the show. When I had episode of seventeen of the podcast or sixteen of the podcast, I had Sarah, Sarah Perry on and uh, Brian Morton. And Sarah is three years in. You produced a show with her here at the yep. Laugh Factory. She's great. She's she's killing it. Um, very funny. She did community show within the last like three or four months, I think. And uh, and she talked about when she got the email how she got like emotional she like cried yeah and I, and I remember just being like when I heard that I'm like really what the fuck <laughs> like it's because it's weird because you know I've done the room so many times right right uh, you know I started you forget, it at O'Toole's though. I was you know you forget and it's it's crazy to me to think that it's gotten that big where people it's like this big milestone for them as far as comedians in Chicago go well I mean even even Laugh Factory I remember um, I remember when I got passed here it was a totally different process back then but I remember when I would. I, I used to have power to book people on. I had a show called Singles Only. Now it's Drink They Laugh, but I booked comics on the show, and they would be like, write these long things like, "This was like the greatest day, of my, like this is the biggest deal in my life." And they did like a six minute guest spot on a show, and you're like, you know, it makes you remember that like this was a big deal at one point. I remember when I was doing shows here, and I remember the first time I talked to you after a show, like I was like, "Oh, I think he likes me now." Like you said, uh, 
I think it was like five years. You were a complete dick to everybody. Or well, you just, your personality, you just assumed you were <laughs> People a dick. think I'm a dick to everybody. No, I, I know. I'm not. Now I, I know you. I'm a dick once I uh, get to know you, but at first, I'm but, nice to strangers, I feel like. But people say that to me because I, I sit in the corner. I don't socialize. Yeah. I don't want to get involved in any drama. I just sit in the back and just do my work or go on, on Bumble in a corner. But, uh, but like, uh, what did I, I say to you? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, it was a joke I did. I used to do uh, about Ryan Dempster. It was five years ago. I did the joke where I met Ryan Dempster and I texted my accent, which is a true story. I got news about him in a second. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah, uh, no, I know. And uh, uh, now I changed it to a different person. But you're like, that's a really good joke. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. And I was like, yo, I got yeah. established. I would, I I was would like not a, have said it if I didn't mean it. I don't remember the joke, though. I don't, I don't <laughs> remember joke where, my jokes, though. It's my so lollipop bad, joke where I'm like, LOL, LOL, And then it's like, what a great night, lollipop. I text it in by accident. It's oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I remember but, uh, that yeah. now. What's your Dempster story? He called me on Saturday afternoon. Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon? I was taking a nap. And he call, he knew I was taking a nap. He's like, "You're sleeping?" Because he could tell yeah, I was groggy. Yeah. I normally don't answer a phone number I don't have yeah, saved. Yeah. Like I never do. But for some reason, I was a Chicago number. So I'm like, oh, who, "Who could this be?" I'm like, oh, "Fuck it, I'll answer." He's got a show. He's doing. Was, yeah. He, he asked me to do like audience warm up. Oh, nice. It. Yeah. So it's at the Vic this Friday. If you're in Chicago, you should go out to it. He's huh. doing like a comedy talk Sweet. show. It'd be like you a late me that late night. Right before that, I didn't answer the call. Well, you should have answered, buddy. You snooze, <laughs> you snooze, I win. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, he's, he's interviewing Kerry Wood, who's one of my yeah. all-time favorite players of all time, Anthony Rizzo, who I've had the privilege of meeting before, great guy, all-star first baseman, super charitable. Ozzie Guillen, colorful, uh, very fella. colorful fella, ex-manager of the Marlins and White Sox. And there's another name in there I'm forgetting right now. But yeah, it should be a fun night. So I'm looking forward to watching that more so. I'm just kind of doing the warm-up up front. And That's then, a hard um, job. Take it away. You'll do yeah, great. Yeah, no, it's not an easy job to warm it's up great with room. that audience. But yeah, no, it's the Vic. So I'm definitely going to be happy to be on that stage. Uh, yeah, no, definitely I was grateful Like whenever when I first got past at Laugh Factory and all these other yeah. places. Um, back to the comedians, you should know thing, though, is I tell people who are like who want to do it and they're desperate to do it. And we've gotten some emails here or there from people who are like, I think it's bullshit. They haven't done it yet. You know? And they'll just come out and say See, that. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do. I think it's kind of dumb actually. Yeah. But I, I also hope you guys t- don't respond to that with like, Oh, now we have to do it. No, we have. I hope you guys don't peer pressure. I told you. No, we like don't. Guys we, do we, um, everyone has to at some point. Yeah. Well, well the funny thing is it's some people were like, yeah, we we're actually talking about you the other day and how we wanted to get you on. But you know, there's a right now, way to do things. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, but there really is, though. You can't reward that type of behavior. No, I heard your system. I really, I, I appreciate that system. And but I, I'm trying to tell these younger comics, though, if you don't like it, start your own show. Yeah, and that is not to be a dick. I know that sounds like, hey, go start your own show. You're no, because then you learn. No, because also you learn. But also, guess how comedians you know started. The, here's the story of how comedians you know started. Uh, the comics at the time of the, the, who started the show weren't happy because the, the big shows in town weren't booking them. Mm-hmm. So they said, fuck this, we're going to start our own show right. and we're going to do it better than them. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And those, you know, those other shows actually are still around. It's still great, but Comedians You Should Know is the clear best show in the city. Yeah. And, and it passed Absolutely. in. So like, I tell people, I'm like, look, if, the, if you're upset about something, do something about it. And look, everyone, I know we're talking comedy and a lot of you aren't comedians listening. Apply that to whatever is going on in your world. If you don't like your job or if you want a promotion, yes, create your own shit. You could definitely like choose your own destiny in a lot of ways. Um, You know, put in the work. It's that's what it was hard as fuck to get that show going. You know, like we were standing out, standing out on Michigan Avenue, handing out flyers for a couple hours a day. People uh, forget that everything that's soul crushing takes a lot of work. Exactly, and then people, it's like 
you get satiated, you get happy with where you're at, and you're like, no, you got to always strive to more, for more. And and a lot of people make fun of me because like I'm like, and I, and I do kind of want to like be able to to smell the roses every once in a while. But like as soon as I have do something cool, I'm like, okay, what's next? Like I'm like, I need to do something. I need to be working. I need to be doing a bunch of things. And it's also just the work ethic I've had from all the other jobs I've done in life, and also like just like this fear i'm also on i always feel like and eric griffin just said that on on uh on a, on a podcast i just heard where he's like when eric he starts griffin's from uh um, comedian from la comedian from la nice guy oh i only met he's a couple workaholics. times workaholics he's i in, wanted to give people a little background uh he was in uh he's, he's the also one doing in, up here he's yeah he's on showtime show and i text him right after i said it but he uh he said something in a podcast when he started he started later too he's like i feel like i had a window he's like you nobody knows his age Nobody knows uh, that guy's age. Yeah, he doesn't know his age. Uh, well, whatever. He started. He could be fifty. Too. He could be thirty-five. I have no idea his age. But he said he had a window of opportunity and he took advantage of it. So he—that's how I feel a lot of times. Where I'm like, I don't have as much time as these comics who are like twenty-five, whatever. I'm like, I got to do something because you know, by the time you know fifty is going to be or forty-five is going to be coming up soon, and I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. So no, it makes sense though. Yeah, you you got to look at it like, hey, I I can't because. What a twenty-five-year-old has is time. You, yeah. don't, you you have time, but you also want to use that time wisely. wisely. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to dick around. I understand that, and I respect that. Really, it's uh, yeah, you're right. You that's that's one of the things that does. Don't do you want to use the word scare? Yeah, I'll say the word scare. Scares me about comedy and being in the being in show business is that there always seems to be the what's next. They never yeah. really get. You never hear about two people. Like, there's some people who say, "Once I hit this, I was able to sit back and take it in a little bit," but rarely. It's most people it just happen because I know people who I have close friends who, when we're in the same boat, they've they've since you know, passed me career achievements wise, but life wise, I don't feel that way because I feel like I'm happier than them, and I hundred percent. Like our talents are still on the same team, but you know they've they've hit those little milestones that people make up thinking i have to hit these but they got the ones and they're not any happier because they're automatically onto the yeah. well, what's the next thing now and i remember i remember saying to a couple of them one time going where you are now go back in time and tell yourself one year into comedy i will be here this many years now. i always have plans that's what i tell everybody to do like and they were both be like you're right joe we'd be thrilled if we knew you know what i mean yeah you have to have like a three-month plan six-month plan 12-month plan. And a lot of mentors i had in comedy told me this is what you got to do blah, blah, blah. Like plan three, what do you mean by, explain that three months six months so like like what and i used to do this when i used to manage bands i'd be like all right put a goal out what's your goal what do you want to do with this well in three months where do you want to be in six months where you want to be in 12 months where you want to be in 18 months where you want to be and just kind of put like little things to aim for and then you could always look at that and be like okay that's what i'm aiming for and there's a there's i mean i don't i meant more like appreciate where you are now because when you first started if you would have said hey this many years in this is where you will be you would be thrilled i think most people would be thrilled with it yeah that's true. It's funny. So there's two things that you brought up that are interesting. One, like your peers and people like stop I compa- talk. Stop to, comparing yourself. Yeah, right? you can't do you that. Can't. It's stupid. Even in comedy, or or even like my friends who are like, if I went, if I didn't go into comedy, I'd be like way wealthier and way like uh, it would be a different lifestyle. But all my friends who are who have traditional careers that I used to be friends with, or even other lawyers that I have cases with, they're all like, like this. We're so envious of what you get to do. Yeah, we get, get to, to drink whiskey on a Tuesday. But which then is the, nice. the second thing is, uh, I'm reading. I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies. I'm reading Robin Williams' book, and you you see how his life, his trajectory. Where, how did that turn out? How did his life turn well, out? Well, yeah, that's, I'm being an asshole. I love Robin Williams. I don't. I uh, 
I just, I'm just getting into the point, which is like 2013, which is now it's getting darker where he's not getting booked in his acting careers. His shows, his shows are bombing, uh, his movies are bombing and stuff like that. And then, uh, and he's doing Broadway. So I don't know what happens at the end. Don't you're still, I'm not going to ruin it. Yeah. For you. Um, it gets darker. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, but that's the thing. Like there is a trajectory in comedy and in any career and you just gotta, you gotta follow your own path, but it's hard as comedians. You're like, how the fuck did he get that? Well, no, well, cause a lot, what makes it really hard about being in the entertainment industry is there's no blueprint for this. I remember telling my wife one day about something where I'm like, listen, you have a nursing degree. Nobody's taking that away from you. Yeah. There's no degree in what I'm doing. So I have to keep pushing and keep doing all this. But sometimes I think that sounds exhausting. That's what, but then I used to think that. Now I do, if you do, whatever you do at anyone, all right, now I got to, as a good podcast host, I got to bring it back to the average person listening to this. Well, but are these, I think, are your listeners mostly comedians? No, they're not. They're regular, but the funny thing is, they're they're mostly common people, Good, which is great, and if I have comedians listening, that's cool, too. Um, uh, Enjoy yourselves. I do this podcast for both people in the sense that, because I have comedians on, and then sometimes we get too far into comedy talk, and then I got to bring it, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that, so then I got to bring it where everyone, I want to relate it to other people, so... What I was saying was I used to get really yeah, depressed, I suppose. Yeah, that's the word. Um, I'm such a fucking like old school like Irish Catholic Chicago guy that I can't even admit to being like depressed. I was depressed. I was, I was, I'm like, not crying. You're just crying. A little, I was yeah. a little down. And, um, Who's the gay now? Yeah, it's me. Big old gay Joe. And I, was, I would get bummed because I remember thinking to myself, when do I get to just sit back and chill? Because I see my friends and I hear about these other paths where it's like, all right, I got this. Now, got now I got to get this. All right, I got, I got a five-minute spot on a late-night show. Now I want to get a half hour on Comedy Central. Now I want to get a, this on uh, Showtime, HBO, Netflix, blah, 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 blah. Now I want to uh, do a, a headline of clubs. Now I want to get to headline theaters. Now I want to get to And it just never, never, it never fucking ends. So I'm like, when, is the, when, do you, when do you get to just kick back and, and, and just chill? Never. never, right? And then I realized, all right, well, that sounds awful. So... <laughs> But what I did to kind of change that is you just have to fall in love with the process. You have to fall in love with what you're doing. If you love what you're doing, you won't care and you won't think about, I have to hit this goal by this age and all that. Now, you're saying with the set, where do you want to get three months, you know, set up little goals like that. I definitely think you should write down what you want to achieve and focus on that because if you want to, you know, whatever your job is, if you, okay, I want a promotion, I want to be VP of sales. And I'm going to give myself three years of doing it because I feel I got you got to be realistic too with some of the stuff and have some perspective yeah. and self awareness on what you could do, and say, all right, three years time, I want to be VP of sales, and I I'm going to write out what I think the steps are in order to get, achieve that. If I hit my quarterly marks and all this kind of stuff, I think that's very healthy and a smart thing to do. It also, I, but it, as long it, as you're enjoying the process, if you don't hit that mark, you it's not time wasted. Is what I'm saying, right? I agree with that, but the reason why I squeaky. like to have the those things or why I tell people to do that or why I set those things up for me is to also to stay on board. So you're making decisions. Because I remember uh, about a year ago, I I had a decision to make, which is I had a huge opportunity that was like a 50-50 chance of happening, uh, opening going on tour with Gary Goldman, which is he's like he's my favorite comedian, whatever. Fantastic, but it was yeah. 50-50 chance of happening. Or I could take, you know, I had a weekend at like, improv or something like that as a host but it was with another great great headliner but it was a host gig and it was guaranteed to happen and like i had to make a decision and i was like which one do i want and then you know i sat and talked it out and i looked at my what i was like well what what do i want to achieve and i was just like i'm gonna take a fucking chance and just say no to this improv 
and wait to see if I get the Gary thing. And I got the Gary thing because my goal was to like, you know, obviously have a, a five minute spot on a, a late night show. And he's done that more than anyone on Conan. And you could definitely study from him and, and right. Kids and then him. I, and it all worked out. Like I thought improv was going to tell me to fuck off. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll reschedule you. And then it actually worked out. Like I got a bunch of stuff from them. Um, and then I got, Gary's thing. He like called me the next day. He's like, "I'm sorry for the wait. Yeah, we definitely want you on." So there you go, so, man. But, but so but, see that you had to take a chance on yourself. But the reason That's why the message I of that say story. that is because I was like, I had to like sit down with my friend who's a was a life coach. Like, she does this for a living. And she's how does like, someone get into life coaching? I don't know, but it fucking whatever she did that day, I was like, I'm like, man, you. I always was like, this seems like a seem crazy like a real job. job but she it fucking doesn't. figured it out. Like I was, I wouldn't have been able to. I was going to do the improv. So I'm like, well, I'm going to take the you know for sure thing. That's way safer. But like, she made me think of all the the what's the worst thing that can happen. I was like, yeah, what is the worst? Like improv. You definitely got to think about shit from all different angles in life. But if you know what you what your goals are, then you don't focus on your peers. You don't focus on well, what, what I should be getting just for laughs or whatever it is that comedians are. Or if your job is, I, I should be partner in six years. Uh, and the same thing happens in the legal world or, or comedy or music. Like you're like, why haven't we got signed to a label? I, all my goal in, in music was to be signed to a record label. That was my only fucking goal when I was in a band. When I stopped playing music, I got signed to a vintage label. There you go. 2017, 20 that's, fucking that's, years that's later. Really, that's cool. With man. Jim Blossoms. They're on our label too. Oh, how about that Another shit? Another 90s. The very 90s. Well, off of what your last point was. You know, you're not you're not going to get all that stuff. Or, you know, you might not get everything you want and everything like that. So if if you set the goal of I want to be partner in six years, you don't get that. I it makes me think of this Oasis lyric from the song "Live Forever," where he says, "You and I are going to live." Well, that's a great lyric, but uh, <laughs> the that's the song. The lyric is, um, "Maybe I will never be all the things that I want to be. Now is not the time to cry. Now is the time to find out why." Which so if you have these goals and you're thinking by the end of the year I want to get this promotion and you don't get it. Don't cry. Don't whine. Don't complain. Find out why. Freaking talk to your boss or figure out what did you do? What more could you have done? And then put yourself on the path to achieve that. Yeah. Look at me getting all motivational speaker up in this yeah, bitch, you right? Yeah, life coach. I think I've already taken the and good steps for it. Although, I want to ask you this though earlier because you mentioned the first time we met and you were saying like, uh, I think you were, you were joking though about me being a dick or whatever. Um, no, I, I definitely wasn't. I, I, I didn't think you were never a dick to me, but like I was just intimidated. And a lot of comics who, I don't want to say older because I was older than you guys are the same age, but. Older in the scene in the sense that we've been yeah, longer. Yeah, higher cl- class above me or class, yeah. a couple class. Like I was always, in, I always felt like uh, it was hard because uh I felt and I heard a lot of animosity because I was getting certain things that people were like, well, he doesn't deserve it. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and then there was like rumors that like I own the Laugh Factory or whatever. I never like, heard that kind of one. I never heard that okay. one. I or heard that you, I you heard and Bader were like uh, Jamie Masada's nephews or yeah. some shit like that, which we know isn't true. Jamie Masada, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, owner of all the Laugh Factories. He started so the I famous mentor, one yeah. in Hollywood, which Richard Pryor was the very first comedian to ever perform at the stage of the Laugh Factory. What, 1979? I think that club opened yeah, on, Sunset, so. uh, right. on the Sunset Strip there. It's not really on the Strip, but it's on Sunset Boulevard. It's a great club. I love it. Um, I'm very thankful to the Laugh Factory. Uh, I just uh, got that the privilege of opening for Theo Vaughn over the uh, weekend, and that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. That dude is blown up. He's awesome. Theo was I wish playing. I was in town for that. Great dude. It's insane. Super nice, too. To see a oh, super nice guy. We all, yeah, we, he, was, he was great all weekend. I, was, I really liked that guy a lot. I've always liked him. I had opened for him. I'd feature for him at a, another club in town like back in 2011. And, and you know, we were cool then. We hung out then. And when I moved to LA, we, we'd 
be on yeah. some of the same shows and you know be like, hey what's up hey joe what's up you know like you know a little yeah, talking here and there cool. never really like hung out and text each other or anything like that but when we see each other we'd, we'd talk a little shop and um and to see that dude blow up the way he has yeah. like holy shit man because i was hosting the shows and when i hosted the show on thursday uh you know, I was like, hey, what do you want me to say for your intro? And he's like, oh, you mentioned I've been on the Rogan podcast, mentioned my own podcast. And those two are fine. I threw in his Netflix special, too. And um, and this crowd was to see him. Yeah. And so I, you know, I said, you, I said, are you guys ready for your main event? They said, ah, you know. And then um, as I'm doing the, you've seen him on the Joe Rogan, you know him from the Joe Rogan podcast. You know him from his own. Right when I said, you know him from his own, he starts to walk up the side here at the Laugh Factor. Yeah. So the audience could see him. Yeah. And once they saw him. It, it was like the Beatles, man. Right, I'm right. not kidding you. His fans I are super fans. Yeah. They're super. I couldn't hear myself give the rest of the intro. I couldn't hear myself say, yeah. uh, his own podcast this past weekend. He also has a Netflix special. Please make it loud for Theo Vaughn. Like, I couldn't. I was like screaming it's it, huge, right? shouting. Couldn't hear it. It was deafening. And I remember as I was wa- like, you know, shook his hand and handed him the mic. And I'm walking back through the way he had just came, thinking to myself, oh, one day, baby. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to have this. This will definitely be mine one day. Um, just got to put the plan in place. But he he just blew up recently. Working. I remember. But really, has been. I mean, he's always had a nice, solid career. Yeah. But uh, but even when we all hung out with him, we had breakfast and stuff. He even mentioned, like, you know, I was in debt there for a little bit, doing, you know, all this stuff. Uh, um, but he, he's a work, dude's a worker. And this, you're right, the last, like, 18 months or maybe. He says he's only been selling out really, like, the last six to eight months. And that's really when it's really blown off the last yeah. eight months. But uh, he had that Netflix special, so it's not like he was a nobody. He obviously had some right. nice credits, and, right, and people right, right. did like him. But he went from, like, I don't know, like a nice little 30,000 Twitter followers to, like, now he's up to 300,000 on, on Instagram, yeah. too. And anytime he posts something, it goes, but like, he's a hardworking guy. Oh, God, and dude. That's the thing. Like, and he's a content creator. He's, here's another thing that I, if I'm going to be... And he's a great person. Coach, he gives back, and he, and he believes, in, he believes in gratitude, man. The one thing that... Conan O'Brien is my, like, my fucking spirit. And I hate Real quick, anymore. are you sweating your balls off right it's now? so hot in this room. So fucking hot in yeah. this room. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but Conan is, like, my favorite. I live by... You know, I, I watch every one of his monologues. And you're Middle Eastern, so you must be really sweaty right now. Yeah. <laughs> you could say <laughs> something about... racist. You could say something about being, be like, you Irish piece of shit. That's no, why no, no one likes you, Joe. No, this is exactly why I was, didn't talk to you. But Conan <laughs> says, he, he said on his last, when he got canceled on NBC, he I know said, you're going, yeah. if, you're, if you're nice to people and you work hard, amazing things will happen. Yeah. And Theo Vaughn is a great example of that. Yeah. I remember I, I went on before right before him at the Laugh Factory about two years ago in Hollywood, and like he was like super nice to me. He goes, that was a really good set. And I do a joke about having a mullet, and he's got a mullet. He just went up there. People didn't know who he was. I mean, some people did, but it was like one of those shows. Well, he was on nights. Road Rules before he ever got into right. comedy. And so I think maybe, I'm never rational. I think people yeah. might have, though. For, but I mean, that from a Hollywood standpoint, that's huge. Cause yes, because it's you like. You go to Laugh Factory, we know what you look like on towners. camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a lot they about towners like that. But I think maybe some of the people in like the comedy scene, like other comedians, probably thought it was this guy trying to go from reality TV to right, comedy. Right. Like maybe he was using that. I, I, I don't know that for sure. And so I could be talking on my ass. I never asked Theo that or if he felt like he was getting some backlash from going from sure. an MTV show to start. But he was a comedian comedy. at that time, too. Yeah, but I, but I think some people kind of thought of like is this guy really a comedian or is he just getting into comedy because yeah. he needs something to do because he's already been on camera and wants to stay doing right. camera because i know people accused the miz of that when he went from real world to wwe okay because i have friends in the wrestling. wrestling it's a similar situation wrestling and comedy where yeah. you really have to start low you do these fucking shows in middle of nowhere Anything, for nobody I mean, all those and guys, no money YouTube and, people uh, that get big if they 
they're not going to last or they're not going to be successful if they don't put in the work. Yes, exactly. And and you have the talent. Whatever well, gets you, you to that level and have talent of doesn't course. matter. Yeah, you're going to have to at some point. You're going to. It's going to have to come out that you're. You you know you worked hard and you're nice to people. If you're an asshole, it's going to come back to bite you. Especially but you in know this that's what I'm slightly worried about lately because I've had a few things where. Maybe I could ask you this, even though you're not a father, but you're no. a guy who works your ass off. So maybe, maybe I got to stop drinking during the week. But I don't think it's the alcohol that does any of that stuff. I've been hitting a wall with these late night spots because I'm I very the, tired. I, the tip, the vitamin the, B. The B12 is help. B12, yeah. I think I got to do it a little differently, though, because it's, I don't know, I think, I'm getting, a little, I think I'm getting immune to it, man. Because yeah, at first, be when you, you first told me about the B12. And um, and it was helping for a few weeks there, and Your I was in a great mood. I was in a great mood, and I feel like everything was good. But these last couple of weeks, I feel myself just—you know—when you're exhausted and one little thing bothers you. Maybe Snap. normal people are like, this. "Yeah, I'm kind of getting to that point where, like, last Wednesday, comedians, you should know, I could talk about this. It's my show, and it's it's my podcast." Um, the legendary Joe show. Snap. Our, yeah, I've I'm, seen it. I'm known for that a little bit now. Where. It doesn't happen often, but once every five or six months, I'll have a set where I just tell the audience to go fuck themselves. Yeah. Very Larry David without the billions of dollars behind it. Although he did this when he was broke, when he was starting out. He was famous for telling audiences to eat shit. And, um, and, you know, but I've done that throughout, but like now it's. It's happening a little bit more frequently than it ever did before. You're getting and older. I, I, I'm older, but I'm also equating it to... But older, usually you're smarter. Because there are times, though, when I, I know there's a difference, though, because... You, get, you, you put up with less shit when you get older. At House of Blues last Tuesday, I was... Um, so last Tuesday or Tuesday before. Anyway, I was at House of Blues in the last few weeks. And I remember someone saying to me, hey, when that woman started to get mouthy, you handled that awesome, dude. Like, I remember thinking the old Joe would have really torn her apart. And I'm like, I had a good night of sleep last night. It was a seven thirty show. Yeah, it might have been the early. It was the early <laughs> show actually. I was hosting the early show two weeks ago because I remember. Yeah, I closed the early show and then I hosted the late show there two weeks Just ago. Sleep, you got to get more rest. I, I, but it's really hard with the baby sometimes, yeah. and then and running around doing all this comedy because I am working my ass off. I'm doing two podcasts. I'm trying to cut up clips to put on YouTube. I'm 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 I'm, I'm trying to content create as much as possible. Yeah, like it's a lot of shit like that. And and then you talk about being a nice guy. I feel like. I've heard some people say like, "Oh, you're kind of intimidated." You were, I was a little intimidated by you when I first met you. You're not the only person who said it. Other people yeah. have said that um, in the comedy scene. Um, and I tell people, and then they meet me, and they're going, "Oh, I thought you were a really nice guy." I'm like, "Dude, I am Nobody a nice guy." Nobody said you're a really nice guy. They just maybe say, not oh, you're really, not that bad. but no, but I am a really nice guy. I really, I'm not just saying <laughs> that. My that? my default, <laughs> some asshole. My default setting is I'm happy, but I am a person that if someone's being a piece of shit around me. I will tell them you're being a piece of shit. And I think a lot of comedians are non-confrontational and they're not used to that. And also I will get a little, I'm, I'm Maybe, yeah. louder in how I deal with things. And a lot of people aren't used to that either. Well, you different. I mean, there's definitely like when you see uh, the landscape of comedians at a show, you know how they were in high school. There are certain people that are non-confrontational. Is, and they were like, it's whatever. So cliche, you were clearly right. like a, a dick jock. I wasn't a dick though. I really wasn't. <laughs> I was considered one of the nicer people. But my thing with me I'm is just kidding. people confuse being an asshole with having a bad temper. There's a difference. I have a bad temper in the sense that I will be, everyone's having a good time. And all of a sudden I get really mad. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah. I have a joke about how my temper kind You're of like. You're like the Emilio Estevez character on uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah, basically. I guess so, yeah. And you got high for the first time. Yeah, which is weird. It was so weird about the movie The Breakfast Club. He gets high and he starts like... Punching. He headbutts that window People or whatever. He gets crazy. To, to drugs. Just made me sleepy. And uh, <laughs> But no, I just want people very... to know that I really do like... You know, I care about people, and I'm a nice guy, and I want everyone to have a good time. Like, I feel like anybody could approach me, ask me whatever they want. I'm an open book about pretty much most things. And 
I, I want to help younger comics. I want to help older. I want to. I want to be like someone who could give you. Yeah. You know, help. I'll give people a ride home. I, I have no problem like going out of my way for people. If I feel annoyed by you, though, I'll fucking tell you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think people take me a little too seriously. So anyway, last week at Community Chanel, my first ten minutes were pretty damn good. Not my level of where I wanted to be. Good enough to pass on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I was doing very well. Uh, I won't say great, but I was doing pretty good. Because I remember when I turned on the audience a little bit, my buddy being like, when you turn, I remember being like, well, I don't Why get it. They were that? they were loving him. What yeah, what yeah. the fuck's, why is he doing this right now? What, that one joke didn't do well? And immediately he's like, fuck him yeah. off. I go, yeah, well, because when you're tired a little bit and you tell a joke, you're like, listen, assholes, this is a good joke. And then you kind of just go. I ended up getting, I dug myself out of the hole. Which sometimes is fun, but I also like to challenge myself, and I get a, I get annoyed when I'm around people who don't challenge themselves because then I think to myself, oh, I could play at your route. I could go up there and give my safe ten and and crush. I've done this room a thousand times. Right. I'm not, but it's different. It's I'm not your a room. It's my room. Yeah. But then I started to. I think I'm in my own head about it too because I don't know a lot of the new comics in the scene and comics hang out at Communities You Should Know more than ever before. Yeah. Before I moved, I saw that from 2010 to 2014, comics did not hang out there. Right. Every now and then they would show up to meet up with us after they have drink, or occasionally one or two would come it's by. In the back is all comics, and the ones who did come by were like top people in the scene. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, and I'm not. I look, I get that. it. I get it. I'm not being a dick to them, but it's just it's different now. Where we used thing, to have a spot, those back stairs there, there where, the, where comics were going up would hang out there, be able to get away from it a little bit, but still know what's going on in the room. No, it's full. It's full. There's nowhere I to know, breathe. I, I can't there, fucking I breathe there, man. It sucks. But here's the thing that, so for me, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I and I'm I always play the pussy route a lot too, especially if it's not my show or from touring with somebody else. Oh, that's I'm different. Like, that's different. Yeah. I could. I could just throw in this new joke that I really want to do, or do I want to just crush so like they remember the crush? But like for you, it's your show, so it's like you feel like you can do that. But then my question is, how many times do you take those chances where you go back to the safe route to get your comfort and like prove that you're the alpha <sighs> on the show and you should be the headliner? And that's see, a question that's, I that's, struggle with. That's a, that's see, you just you just got me, man. You got me with that one right there. You didn't get me with the question, but you got me, and that's what happened. Um, so like you know when I when I opened for Theo these those three shows over the weekend I did ten killer minutes safe yeah, also because I wanted the opportunity of gaining some fans of his of course you know which worked out actually win-win. so win win and then on um, uh, means you should know because we go up so often as we should we're putting in the fucking work you know we're the producers I also it's our show so I I want the members to push the envelope and to try new things that's why the show was also started because we weren't getting to get the stage time to to be better and um and so maybe I get a little annoyed because then I see people who should be doing new stuff not doing as much new stuff and then I go well I could fucking just do that too and then who's no one's advancing but here's the thing with your show and you're right the alpha then comes in because I was 10 minutes in and the people in front of me all crushed they were amazing yeah you know I'm fans of them so that wasn't like a oh damn it no but then I think but, but then 10 minutes in and then all of a sudden also, they're doing 10 minutes, so really I kind of matched them 10 minutes for 10 minutes, which is a stupid thing to say. But let's say eight minutes, and I started to eat shit. That's awesome. Um, so maybe eight minutes, and I started to eat I shit. I mean, technically, I had a good 10, too. So yeah, well, we all had our I solid 10s, judged. but, you know, they're, they're doing A game stuff. That's pretty stuff. fucking funny. Well, then, because then you feel the pressure, because it's like, all right, everyone in front of you just killed. You want to show them, hey, I should headline, too, that alpha thing you just said. And But then I also like, you know what? I want. I like the thrill of uh, trying something new and having it hit, and then people going, was that fucking new? And I go, yeah, it was new. And That's fun, too. Um, and then, and then if it doesn't do well, then if you dig out of the hole, <laughs> it's really fucking satisfying. But anyway, I, I, at one point during my set, the comics in that new comic area where all the comics hang out, 
there was some chirping out of that area, so I talked some shit to them. And then, oh, and then I find out later that, hey, man, you can't say stuff like that because then they're asking questions and then they feel like you were for real. And then I have to go back, oh, that's right. They don't know me that well. I wasn't serious. You call, on stage you were talking On stage. About? I told them, like, because uh, a lot of them, because we're, we're doing these CYSK auditions now, mm-hmm. and they're for real. Anyone listening, they're for real. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're I definitely going to pick people out of them. Uh, I talked to... There's 50 people auditioning, so obviously not all 50 of you are going to get picked. Right, right, right. Um, but but yeah, they, you, they were chirping while you were on stage. And, and Someone said? had said something in that area. And you heard it? And I said, because yeah, you know how I heard it? Because there was a lull and there was laughter just from that area. Uh, Only the comics were laughing in that area. Yeah. So now I, I know, my head too, yeah. right? So it gets in my head a little bit and I'm kind of like, these motherfuckers, right? You know? And, and, and there, there, is a, there is a thing with some new comics where they don't get there's an etiquette. Yeah, I've yeah. been I've been at open mics where I see people shout shit. I've been at real shows where I'm like, "You're a comic, shut the fuck up." Who so are you to interrupt? Really, that's I want to talk about that because that that's something that really bothers me about comedy. But go ahead, finish the. So I I then tell, say, "Oh, by the way, anyone who auditioned here, we already know who we want. We completely you fucking wasted your time. Glorified <laughs> open mic. That's all that was. So you know what I mean." And I kind of made fun of the idea about the auditions because at that's first funny. I didn't. At first I thought the audition and idea was kind of stupid. Scared. They're like, "Oh, I just jinxed myself." That's funny. Maybe. But you know what, though? I'm okay with that. But Maybe it, that's where the asshole comes where, out, where I, I'm okay with fucking with people's heads a little bit. But that's your show. And, and I will say this about your show. I'm making you better by fucking with your head. No, yeah. when, I, when I did, I've done Community You Should Know four times, at least three, four, I think it was four times. You look at me as if I would know the answer. I don't. I don't. But my point is that. <laughs> I never know who's going on. I went in, when I did it two weeks ago, I was like, all right. I don't want to do the same set. And, and Jonah is almost like, it's not the same people. Or Jonah's like, they don't know. You know, whatever. I love Jonah, but he he would say that. I mean, Jonah, if you're listening right now, take more risk on stage, pal. But yeah, he does a lot. So and He's writing some new stuff now, being an I asshole. Like I love Jonah. He's the best. I, same. But uh, what I was saying is but like- I could see him not wanting you to take a chance. I, uh, I was going to uh, do a new, this new thing I was going to work on. But the three comedians before me, or one of them, who's a friend of mine, Alex Dragovich, who I love, crushed- and the next person did well. I'm like, well, fuck. I got a crush now, too. So I went in, and I started doing a new thing. It didn't hit as much as I wanted, so I went, like, totally safe. And also, another reason for me is a lot of the comics there don't know who I am. They're younger comics. They're like, who's this guy? He gets, you know, we see his name all the time. So there is some a question of proving myself. And also, there was a bunch of people that I wanted to get new fans, too. So if it was my show, I'd do what you did. But since it's not, and I'm like, I kind of was like, I kind of played it cool too. But going back to what you said, I, I'm one of those guys who hates when people talk in the showroom or like when it's loud in the bar at the Laugh Factory or whatever club, and I go and tell people to shut up. I'm like, guys, shut up. Comics yeah. Are on. And it's like, I don't know if they're doing it. I, I think it's not malicious. I didn't, like, I was like, maybe they just don't like this comics on stage. But it's like, this is your fucking friend. Like, uh, well, if they're doing a laugh factor, it's not malicious. Yeah. Because they're separated from the room. But you can hear that on stage. Yeah. Well, I think, well, that's what I'm saying. It's not malicious. You forget. Or in the back of the show. You forget. Because if you're at the bar in the the laugh factory during the show, those doors are shut and you tend to forget. You feel like you're away from it. I get or that. Or in the showroom, too. In the showroom, if you're talking in the back in the showroom, you're a fucking asshole. Shut Same up. It, I was like, at it's a right club. there in front of you. Yeah, it's, I was at a club um, this weekend in, in Michigan, and uh, there were comics in the back talking while the headliner's on. I'm like, dude, shut well, up. Well, here's another reason why I wish I could be a musician instead of a comedian, because you never heard a band stop going, hey, you talking in the back. What the fuck? But here's a, when you're on stage as a musician, I went back and played after being a uh, comedian for a while. 
no one's paying attention to you on stage when you're in the back corner playing like fucking better than Ezra cover. Oh yeah, if you're like the guy doing acoustic sets yeah. at freaking you Pop Alley's, that's what I did. Some shit that about was me. You. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though? I mean, even big bands. Though, I've I, we've all been to concerts and the, the you never see a drummer stop going. Who who's talking? Yeah, who's talking right around in that section right. there? I'm like, yeah, I was telling them I like, like no one. They don't do that. They, they just keep playing. They, they don't have to. the music They're, exactly. But that's the thing about comedy, music. You have to listen. You have to exactly. You have to listen to comedy. Right. Because the worst thing, I, I, I always hate when you have to do these shows when you're just starting out at bars and it's not a separate room and then you try to do a comedy night, but any, any asshole who's walking in there for an old style beer or Miller Lite is going to be like, oh, there's What's comedy tonight? What the fuck's yeah. going on here? They listen to half a joke and, they and they'll be like, hey, Bobby, you're funnier than this fucking guy. My buddy yeah. Bobby down at work. Right. That guy's a comedian. Ain't you? You, got, you guys aren't funny. That guy's funny. Bobby. And it's like, no, listen, asshole. Bobby's a piece of shit and so are you. You heard half the joke. You're a miserable cunt. Get the fuck Get out, out of here. here. You yeah. know what I mean? And and that and that was the, what I just said was the stuff I would say on stage. Yeah, where other people don't do that's that. That's why everyone hated you. That's pr- no, I kidding. think <laughs> that's why everyone was thought you were a dick. I don't know. I think that was part of. I think part. It's almost like my strength and my weakness have become close to each other. Where for a while people loved that about me. They were like, "Killgallon will fucking tear someone apart." Yeah. And it's great. But now it's kind of the point where it's like, all right, he's, he's running the risk of alienating the entire room. Or before you, I was able to just focus on the one piece of shit. You could, I feel like you, you do a good job of it. You dress it with a smile and shit. People, I, and people I get them back yeah. at the end. It's but fun. you know what it is? I think it's what we were talking about where you're like, all right, there's comics who don't know me. I want to let them know I'm top dog. All right, not top dog. Like there's rankings. Like who gives a shit about that? Right, but you, you want to know, know that you're, you're good. Or that you're, you're, you, you deserve to be on that stage. Yeah. And you deserve to But the thing the that show. kills me is I never cared about that before. For. I always only cared about the audience. I could give a shit if the, the, the comics like me. No, I agree. I still don't because I think the comics who play at the back of the room are going to be playing at the back of the room their whole career. Yeah. And I just never gave a shit. And as far as um, the audience that comes to community, you know, I want the paying audience to have the best time ever. They're paying. But I also want to, you know, give them a show. So sometimes when it goes a little south, I think, all right, well, let's give them a real show here because at least it won't be boring. Yeah. I remember having one really terrible set like there and then <laughs> talking to someone afterwards like someone in the crowd them going like i really liked it. i don't know what this crowd was stiff or whatever and then um i go hey man you'll remember this set won't you like if the, hey if it's not if i'm not gonna yeah, kill you bomb, you'll at least like, remember that me. guy saw that guy again and they see your name on another thing they're gonna be like oh he's but so i do like controlled bombing where when i when it's not going well <laughs> no when it's not going well i kind of go down this path of having these little sprinkling out this little shit where it's you know they're gonna uh, you're gonna turn on you yeah, I mean, well, I, I get, the, I, I'm at the point where, where it's like, okay, I've been doing this long enough where I should recognize, all right, that joke didn't do that well, no big deal, roll with it, move on to the next bit. I've been doing, I, I know, but what I kind of have this thing where I'm like, no, that's a good bit, and I need to figure out why you guys didn't laugh at it, and so now I'm going to go into the audience and talk to you about it, and I'm either going to insult you or we're going to figure out what went wrong, and and maybe I could find a new nugget out of that. Because I think you could, I like to mine for gold in that yeah. sense. I think when you get you the lulls is where you get the, you get stronger. Uh, you try a tag, it doesn't work. And I feel if you're a good comedian, you come up with something to get yourself out. Yeah. I do that a lot with a certain joke that I have that gets groans. And then I just double down because I know it's going to, it's going to lead to something. And uh, I just did that in Michigan too. Same thing. It's a very conservative town and uh i don't i don't do political stuff but you know there's certain things that are sensitive that people get upset about that i do and i double down on it and it was pretty fun like i and i thought i thought they were gonna fucking beat the shit out of me because you gotta do some stuff for yourself too see now i'm looking back on the set and it was really just the 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 shit with the comics in the back that made me upset later because i was actually having fun while i was up there did you record it 
No. Um, I was actually, actually, someone filmed it though. I don't know if he, I think he said he filmed most of it. I got to hit the guy up because I didn't know him. It was, a, it was someone who was filming this other comic. I asked, hey, could he keep his camera going and film my set? And, they, and he said, he thinks he'll have enough memory. He's not sure. And I'm like, that's fine. If it craps out during the middle of it, that's okay because I think I, I front loaded it where I wanted the stuff, the stuff I wanted top. to work yeah, on was yeah. going to be up top. And then I, was, I, I actually wrote into my set, dick around for a few minutes at this point. You I, wrote it on I, I wrote. I wrote in like I gave myself a couple minutes to mess around. And I'm okay with that too because I think if we're going to – that's what the show used to be about. And I feel like it's slowly going away from that. The, the show's feeling so corporate these days. And it's kind of it's, – it's, I was just talking about how great the show is. And now I'm telling people that I'm, I'm not in love with it as much as I used to be. I don't know. And saying that out loud, that hurts me to even say. Well, because you've also – you have been doing it for so long that it's hard to – keep it interesting a lot of people are now discovering it for the first time you know two years ago or whatever you've been there for 10 years so no matter what you're doing for that long it's gonna it's gonna fade the luster is gonna fade unless you like reinvent yourself look at wilco the band you know people get sick of them and then they reinvent themselves but if you if you're a dave matthews person it's the same fucking album every time you know pro wrestlers uh always reinvent, reinvent themselves yourself. like people forget stone cold steve austin didn't start off as stone cold steve austin i don't austin. know shit about wrestling you, well, so you know he's working his hard going well it's part about being self-aware you know you work your ass off on one certain thing and you're like well this isn't working so now i gotta try this don't be afraid <laughs> to try other things people no i gotta bring this back to giving life advice out to everyone out I, here at Killgans pub because i'm like that surly bartender right you gotta now. take chances i and and, and one, of, one of the things i i i want to improve is to take i always try to do at least one new thing every time i go up whether it's a tag or a new line or whatever, I learned that from another comedian that I was opening for, and I try to do that. And now, because I, I I hate like so much of my old shit that I've been pushing forward, and I'm like I don't care if I bomb for four minutes because I know I have five minutes at the end that's gonna dig myself out. But you yeah. just put it in the middle somewhere; it doesn't matter. But I never turn on a crowd. I I never I I, I never You've do never that. Done that. I don't. Uh, no, because you know I I listened to a podcast once. And uh, I think it was John Mulaney. I don't remember where he was, where he said it. But he goes, he goes, he was sitting in the back and he was going to go up and try new shit. And then he saw like two people paying for a, t- a thing and they, the bill was higher than they expected. And he said, he goes, oh, that's okay, honey. We'll just, we'll just eat it. We won't go out next week. And he's like, at that moment, he's like, fuck, these guys paid to come here. I got to give a good effort. So yeah. for me, turning on them, if you make it entertaining, like you said, I think that makes sense. But like when comics are like, fuck you, that's a good joke. Or like when they address that it's a small crowd, I hate that. I'm like, dude. They no, I hate, I hate addressing that it's a small crowd. Just I've never done that. Do your show because when it's a small those crowd, are those are super fun. Not always. Obviously, if you've got a room of four or five people, it's bullshit. Yeah. But you know, you can take a small they crowd and to make come because like I've got but like this guy Ken, this uh, security guard at House of Blues. He he called me. Yeah. He calls me CPR. You know, Ken. And um, I remember him calling me, C- he called me CPR once. And I'm like, what, what, why you call me C- what CPR? He goes, yeah, it's my new nickname for you. And I go, why? He goes, because what you did last week, you saved that show. And I'm like, oh, oh thanks, nice. man. Because it was a shit show. And then I went up and had a, and I, uh, had a great set and, and everyone went home happy. Calls but I try to make sure, when I, when I wrap it up, though, I always try to get, I get them back. Like my, um, hold on, the mic thing moved. When I closed out, oh, come on, piece of shit. When I closed out my set, like my, I, my last five minutes did great. Yeah. I, I ended on a five-minute joke that had that's fucking big laughs, and everyone yeah. went nuts. And, that's, and I remember people walking out saying, nice job to me. What made me angry last week was when I got done and seeing comedians purposely not want to talk to me because they thought I was in a bad mood. That, yeah. that upset me because well, I wasn't in a bad mood. You. They don't know me that well, and I wasn't in a bad mood. And there has been a shift where it used to be like, I don't know, man. I feel like people don't. 
but people, I people who know me weren't talking to me, and I'm just being like, "What the fuck is wrong?" Whatever. Everyone got so goddamn soft. You well, know, and I know I feel like I'm sound like this old man going get off my lawn right now, but I really. <laughs> There has been some sort of like little shift where I, I get it that people are a little more sensitive nowadays, and some of that sensitivity is a good thing because there are there was ways that human beings were acting for a long time. There was a shitty way to act, but then there's also this new thing where I'm like, if you got a problem, say something or or know when people are fucking kidding around. Don't take everything but so seriously. Because sometimes I remember a show I did with you once, and uh, you ended. You didn't like your set, and you walked out. You're like, fuck this, and like you're. And I, I didn't know if you were serious or not, and. Uh, but like sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you are in a bad mood when you get off. Stage. No, sometimes Same I am. Me. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I guess I'm tough night. to read in that regard. I, 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 I had a good. Uh, I did 20 minutes or so, and I had a good four or five minutes there where it was some back and forth with the audience. But I always tried to make it like I didn't just go up there for the people listening. I'm not going up there going fuck you. That's a good joke. I'm kind of <laughs> when I'll hit the joke. So I did a joke about um, I had an audition for the shy that Showtime show. And it was to play white supremacist number one, basically. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I said yes to the audition, and then I got the script. Yeah, they, my, they do that to you. Yeah, and then because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm available it's to audition like, for I it. Said, it. I'm nice. not gonna be a terrorist. Like, oh, it's he's not a terrorist. He's a yeah. So I read it for white supremacist number one, and the third word out of my character's mouth was the N word with a hard R. It's a Showtime show. You could say that word. So I'm like, what the fuck do I audition for this? So I'm telling the story that in this joke, granted, because the audition was only a couple weeks ago, so it's still very new. I've told it a handful of times, mm-hmm. and. Four times, it's, three times it's killed. Two, t- one time it did, and one time it bombed. It bombed the very first time I ever did it because I, I didn't do it well. Then the next time it killed, killed, okay, killed, and then this time it was starting to bomb again. And I knew it was because the audience was super white, and they're giving me this weird look where I'm like, I'm not saying anything racist. Yeah. This is your own fucking bullshit right yeah. now, and this is what's fucking killing me right now about like. And then then I had this joke where I say that. Like, goddamn, white audience has gotten so stiff lately. If you ask anyone, we'd rather perform for black people and gay people. Problem is, it's really hard to get those two groups together, you know, because that's a joke <laughs> about how black people don't like gay yeah, people. Yeah. And, and then that, during that run, they were getting, like, weird. And, and I got annoyed during that because I'm like, I didn't say anything racist. Yeah. Why the fuck are you guys acting like this? The whole point of the joke was I didn't want to get the part because if I get the part, I find out I'm really good at saying the N-word. Yeah, yeah. Like I was, I was worried at the audition, sure. they'd be like, dude, you must say that word all the time. That was fantastic. <laughs> go, go out there, tell everyone else to go home. Yeah. You must say this word all. It was so, it natural. Was so natural. You were right, so right. good. Like, and then have all my black friends be like, yeah, you did say that word a little too good. Like, you yeah. know, I, I have a whole joke about how I'm not going to get invited to the cookout now. Right, and right. I was so close. And, and, and they just, they re, when they react, like when an audience, if I tell a joke and I tell it the way it's supposed to be told and it eats shit, that's fine. I really do not mind that. Because then later I'll have to go, all right, well, what went wrong during that? But if I tell a joke that an audience shuts off on because they hear their little trigger words, no, fuck you. I'm going to try to figure that out because I want you to be more aware of it for the next time you're at a comedy show. I equate it to when... I talked about this last week. I was driving my car, and there was this bike rider who wasn't over. He was like in a lane, and he could have been over so cars could have passed. What's what's a Schwinn do? Eight miles an hour? And he's holding up traffic, and I'm like, what the fuck? And so I went around him, and I remember going to like roll down my window to yell something out at him. My wife goes, don't, don't, don't. And I looked at him, I'm like, if I don't yell something at this asshole, he's not going to know he's being an asshole, and he's going to continue his asshole ways, and it's going to keep changing. It's and it's going to be, uh, my mic went out, and he's going to keep causing traffic. And, and, and you know what I mean? And all, uh, who knows? Maybe if I yell, hey, you're an asshole. But sometimes then, you just have to let, like, that's the thing. 
I know, man. I, a, you're right. A, I do. I have to learn how to let it go, no, and I'm trying. And I'm dealing that, with it right a now. Book I just read about that. I'm dealing it's like, with it. Instead I'm, of focusing I'm on get, that, I'm getting help with it. You just, know, you should. What if, like, when you did that, you ended up getting into a car accident? That would be. Yeah, like I know. Ultimate. I know. I thought about that, and I had another situation. That's what someone said. There was a book I read where they're like, sometimes you just have to focus on the 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 path. Yeah, you're right, and I'll end, and we'll end the change. podcast on this because I I, love, I think you'd get a kick out of this, and and I know my listeners would. On my way to open for Theo Vaughn on Thursday. Uh, you know, I, was, I haven't hosted here in a while, but when you host, you've got to be here early. I need to be on time. So I made sure I was getting on time and everything like that. I was making good time. Or I'm hosting going, a podcast. But or ho- yeah, whatever. yeah, all right. It's fucking hot shot. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going down Belmont, and it's not a stop sign or a light. It's a crosswalk. And I see them a good half block away. It's a guy, in a, maybe husband and wife, real yuppie looking, uh, carrying a wagon with two little kids in the wagon. And I see them ahead going through the crosswalk. And I'm shifting my foot to the brake. But then I realize, oh, they're going to be well across the street before I get there. So then I bring so my foot. Up. I didn't speed it up. I just, <laughs> I just didn't slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, then I started to for like half a second or two. And then I went back over because I'm like, they're not in the way. Why would I slow down? Right? I'm making good time here. I'm, I, wasn't, I was going 35. I wasn't speeding. Sure, sure. And as I'm going through, he's already clear. He's at the crosswalk, takes one step back in the street, does like a full lunge middle finger at me. Yeah. And I was going slow enough where I actually looked at him going, as I saw him stop to turn, I thought, oh, do I know this guy? Why is he? That's how slow I was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And does this full lunge middle finger. And I'm like, what the fuck was that about? And then I, as I was starting to go past, like I'm a few blocks up now, I'm like, oh, is it because of the kids? Do you think I was being a reckless driver and he's worried about his kids and he's telling me to fuck off? Yeah. And and then I, I was this close but to me. His like, eyes were off his own kids. What if something happened to the kids during that flick off? There's a good example. That's and here's the, the other example, though. I then am like three blocks up from where it happened, and I'm making good time. So I'm like, I could go back and turn around. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. This is, I swear, I was, I was in a good mood. Yeah, I was yeah. feeling positive. I sure. ate right. I was well rested. I'm like, I'm going to go perform for fucking packed 350 plus people at a packed club. And I was thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to turn around and I want to pull up in front of this guy and say, hey, man, I noticed you flipped me off. I just, just let me tell you. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old son. I get it. You think you're protecting your son, but I just want to let you know, or you're protecting your kids. I just want to let you know, I saw you well enough in advance, and I knew you were clear. Right. That's why I didn't slow down or come to a complete stop. It wasn't a stop sign. Yeah. And, and, I, and again, I know, hey, man, I get it. Papa Bear, you're protecting your kids. Right. I'm like that, too. But if you really want to think it through, you want to pull that shit because you don't know how psychotic the driver could be. Yeah. You, you flip more, some, Who has more to lose? Yeah, dude, you That's were clear. I, I know. Dude, you were clear, man. You flip off the wrong person, they're turning around, and, and you're in a lot of trouble, and then you're yeah, not yeah. protecting your kids. Right. So, dude, just think that shit through. You right. know what I mean? I get it. Father to father, man. I respect the, dude, what the fuck, my kids. Dude, but pulling that shit in this, in this city, yeah. that you're asking for. It. So, um, No, I agree with that. All right, Paul. Uh, pl- plug your great podcast for everybody, man. You got a couple, and uh, thanks for doing it. Yeah, man, You're, you're a hard me. worker. Uh, I'm going to plug it in the intro, too, so don't uh, worry about that. I have a singles-only podcast uh, on iTunes, Laugh Factory Channel, uh, Google Play Now, and I have uh, the Two Guys, One Album on the WGN uh, platform and it's also on iTunes. WGN it's, Podcast Network, I yeah, believe, if you go to the website. WGN Radio, you can, you can get it from there. Uh, singles Only is about being single. We interview people. We didn't even talk about that kind of stuff. But, uh, and then two I'll have guys, you on again. I'll get you on again. Guys, I want to get album. you on with, like, uh, maybe I'll get you on with Genie because I've been wanting Genie on. Yeah. And, or, or Patty, and you could, we could really dive the nemesis, into the single yeah. stuff because I'm married and I could give you guys married guy perspective. Although Patty does that for you, actually. Patty's the voice of reason. You can come on as a voice of reason. I'll come on as a voice of reason sometimes. You get a, a, we always a have male one. perspective because I know you usually have 
Eugenie or Patty, who I'm good friends with. I love them both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check out that podcast. It's a and fun it's, podcast. But it also, uh, some of the stuff we talked about kind of goes into the approach of being single. Yeah. If you're single, you got to go down the path you go down and just, you know, ex- if, you, if you think, if you're desperate to be in a relationship, right. you got to work on you first. Get yeah. your, if you're working on yourself and, and focusing focus. on what makes you happy, that's going to be attractive to people. People are going to want to be with that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I... I, I I, I, I put all my eggs into this comedy thing, so if it doesn't work out, I don't have a kid or anything to come on the other end of. So, well, I have no other skills work. either. So, it's yeah, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I'm not making money with the comedy, I'm gonna have to like. I don't yeah, know. but then you have a kid already, so it's like uh, I you, do. Already, I've got. You've done I've your got job. A, I've as got a man. great. I've got a great personal life. I'm very happy with my personal yeah. life. Um, I don't have. I have, I have nothing life. to complain about. Life's amazing. Um, I just have to figure out how to get this temper under control because when I get mad, I say shit I don't mean, and or you just gotta say understand that people don't know. I yeah you're right I got to smile about it a little bit um, yeah I just got to get a little bit more motivated with that room because I I, I I'm the one that brought the show to Timothy O'Toole's yeah it was somewhere else I was I had friends there and I was good friends with the management there and I told the group at the time we got to go do community show Timothy O'Toole's because we're looking for a downtown space I just feel like uh, I want the show to be well obviously I want the show to be welcoming to everybody of course comedians and comics and most importantly fans who pay money there. But I know a lot of new comedians want to see what it's like to yeah. watch the best show in the city, and you're welcome. Um, it just—I I, got to figure out a way to make it so that I don't get. I, you can't. You got to. I, I wish there was ten less people there some weeks because you can't breathe. If you can't breathe, it's just very claustrophobic. And the corporate feel thing I'm saying about is that it used to be we, each comic who was a producer, because we went up the most, would have one of those sets where you're just like, "Ee, all right," you know. I mean, it would still be it would still yeah. be a good set, but you'd have part of the set. A joke like, or two, we were like, that ah, fucking eat shit. And then we would razz each other about it and give each other a hard time. There was a camaraderie like it. Now I feel like it's this very like, okay, Joe, if you if you want to try new stuff like that in the middle of your set there, maybe we should have you go up front there, go in the <laughs> middle. I'm like, well, now I'm doing 10 minutes, asshole. And and no, how about that? Right. Okay, you know what I mean? I helped build this organization. Yeah, it's your show. And I'm not, yeah, like I, that's the way I view it, you know? And it's a ch- this show, I equate the show to a championship team. And the people who helped make us, when the, the people who, who yeah. built the championship team get the benefits of that. Right. And so and if That's every, every now and then it's not going to be amazing. Yeah. And you're right. Like, I love that John Mulaney thing. And I'm definitely going to start thinking of that more. Billy Gardell used to think before he would do a show, I think about what the average person has to do to get to this show. Right? Yeah. You know, you got to go out to dinner beforehand. Maybe you got to get a sitter. Right? Uh, you got to wait in traffic. You know, that's uh, why, like, for me, when I'm headline or if I'm headlining or doing a long set, like, I always am like weary. I'm like, okay. And I think there was John Roy told me a similar thing too. He's like, you know, if you put, if you want to do something new, people, it'll usually work if you're already crushing because you're like, you're so excited about the new bit that they're on board with you. That's why I usually, that's why I didn't open with it. I'm not opening yeah, with, hey, course. I had to play white, I got to play white supremacy. That's yeah. not good opening material. Yeah, but I'm sure. In like and I don't know what went wrong with it. Um, I don't know. I think it's I think sensitive. the reason uh, Maybe yeah, something was in the news that day. Could be, you know. I have noticed. Well, you that. talked about haircut joke earlier. This was we'll go full circle back to the yeah. beginning of the podcast. You said you complimented that haircut joke. I have a line in the haircut joke where I say, you know, good haircut's important. No one's ever killed themselves the same day they've gotten a good haircut. It'd right. be weird to discover the body. You'd be like, he looks amazing, you know. And sensitive. that joke I did the day uh, Anthony Bourdain died. Oh yeah, and I didn't think about it because I don't think of that as a suicide joke. I think of it as a joke about a silly joke about getting your haircut and a guy yeah. fucking up your haircut and how that. But sometimes that down. ends up working too because I did a joke where I my mom's name is similar to it's Negar. It's a Persian. It's a very popular name, and I do a joke where you know 
and when I did it, it was the day that uh, the Starbucks thing happened with the African Americans that got kicked out. Oh, yeah. And I actually do a joke while I'm like, well, I just don't go to Starbucks with her when her coffee's ready because, you know, they say her name. Yeah. And that's already a, a line. But then people are like, whoa, I'm like, oh, I was talking about when they say the coffee. But then I got another tag out of it because it was go. like the, the response was so tight. So yeah. who knows? No, I, I know, but I just. You're, it's also a weird environment right now with people sensitive or feeling they have to be sensitive. Uh, so it's weird. I'm okay with PC culture in the sense where it's like, yeah. hey, stop saying um, the, the word retard and the word fag and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Stop saying those stuff. Yeah, I agree. With I agree. That. It's, it's ignorant uh, speech, it's, it's poor vocabulary. But if you're a good Smart comedic writer and you do something that's good without like just the shock value of the word, there's a difference. And I, and I, and I yeah, say and that. I don't use those words, but yeah. I get upset when audiences hear a subject and they turn and they it off. Fr- yeah, because I, agree I think with you. that's a regressive approach. 100%. I think that's, that's society being regressive. You're, where's the advancement there? Where is the, the idea that's of how listening you get better. to better? Yeah, that's and how then, we get better as, as a society. Exactly. So I'm. You know, I, I used to say this is so weird of an era because there's so much going on in the world, but I don't think music's getting any better. Where like in the late '60s, during all that turmoil, music was fantastic. Music was yeah. incredible during like because when there was assassinations yeah, in Vietnam, yeah. and everything. Because of that, and I don't know if it's yet. part of the digital age or part of uh, you know record companies or what's going on with what, or where people don't take risks as much anymore, or, or because of the sensitivity that's going on with some stuff. Yeah, which like again, some of it I think is great. Other parts of it I don't like because I fear what if it's this bad now, what's it going to be like 10 years from now? Sissifying of a society, some ways. Yeah, and not even like using that word because I think the guy who uses the word pussification or sissify or whatever the fuck it is, you say sissify? Yeah, what's... I, the reason I, I'm only, oh, you don't heard the word pussification? Mm, uh, maybe. This, this, this guy used to say, uh, I can't remember who it was, you said, the pussification of America. I don't know if it was a comedian, oh. I think it was like a radio host guy. Oh. And, uh, there's not even Sean like Hannity? that is because I, I Sean Hannity. It's the people. There's 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 that other side of it where it gets too meatheady, where they think yeah. like, oh, less kids are playing tackle football. What a bunch of little fucking bitches. It's like, no, we've discovered that eight year olds can't sustain concussions the way you know. Maybe they should be a little right. older, put a little weight on them. Well, that's fucking dumb. I did that when I was a kid. It's like, well, yeah, and you're stupid as shit right yeah. now. You have no self awareness. You've we've no, evolved you're an idiot. in a lot of ways, but there are there's certain things, topics. For me, race relations is a very important thing to me growing up. Uh, it just was, uh, you know, I that's why. I worked for Bill Bradley because he was a big uh, advocate of the Civil Rights Act in 1991. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go work for him. He had a great shot in 92 there, yeah. Yeah, and he, I worked on his campaign in 2000, but he, um, I was going to say, oh, he, uh, he wrote a book about race relations when he was younger because he was like one of these white players who was playing with all black guys. It was 2000 he ran. He didn't run in He ran in 2000, did. yeah. Did he run in 92 as well? No, 92 no, was 2000. a senator. Yeah, I worked okay. for him in like in 2000 when he was running for I remember, yeah, he ran against, against yeah, Gore. Gore, yeah, okay. But, uh, but uh, like that's how he he would say you, you need to talk about this shit to fucking get better. I, I agree, yeah. And that's why, you know, tackling stuff like that and, and people reacting like that joke about my mom. You know, when I say her name, if it's like a small town in like a, I don't want to sound racial, but like I did that joke in like Marshalltown, Iowa, and they're laughing too hard at it. They're la- and I was yeah, like, and then you feel like and I have to address I it. Like that and either. I do, and I address. It. I'm like. And I have a new line for depending on the reaction. It's like you guys like it too much. I wonder. I'm like, I feel like that's not going to work. And, when you, and with your joke, you probably notice it too. You're like, I bet you it's not going to work because these guys are going to be sensitive. Because like, I'll look at the crowd before. I'm like, I feel like that's not going to work. Bill Burr said on uh, some interview. Oh shit! Oh shit! Something said data right air. So I hope this is still being recorded. Um, Bill Burr said on a, and we'll wrap it up with this, everybody. Thanks for listening to Kelgown's Pub. Bill Burr said once that he read that people with bad tempers, they, they, they lose their temper because they're disappointed in people. Expect more of people. 
And when they don't I heard that, when I heard him say that like in an interview or in something, I go, okay, that makes sense actually. Because it means that they expect more of people. And when they don't match their expectation, that's when they get fucking pissed. That. You don't buy that? Well, because I'm disappointed. I believe people. it because if I say a joke and I think you take it the wrong way, I do get disappointed in people. Maybe. And you said sometimes you go, and, and obviously I know. I'm disappointing people all the time and I don't have a bad temper. Like that's the one well, thing. Well, it's, it's also it's, genetic in ways too. <laughs> but everyone, and everyone always expresses themselves differently, obviously. Sure. Duh. But um, see, I'm disappointing you right now, Paul. Uh, it's, it's one of those, like, so with, when I try to give the audience the benefit of the doubt and believe they are smarter, obviously if I'm doing, a, you know, um, certain places, you're not going to do certain material. Right. If I'm doing a church, I'm not going to talk about abortion. Like, you know, I yeah, get yeah. that. Not that I have any jokes about that anyway. Uh, it's, but, you know, I, I see a cool crowd on a Wednesday night that I've done, but, but I pushed the envelope with jokes before. I actually did a joke about uh, trans uh, people in the nicest of way, in case people are like, I wonder what Joe Killian's trans joke is about. And they went with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were great for that. I, I just think I get mad with Society Day because what used to happen? It used to happen in, intent. What was the person's intent? Were they intending to be an asshole or did they just slip up? Or were they just speaking yeah. a little bit? Like, you know what I mean? That's where I missed that part. I, I used to be like, I have a. Yeah, just, I know you want to wrap this no, up. No, well, I'll give you the last word. I'll, I'll say this Springer. about that uh, because I'm a, I'm a big race person, and I and it really frustrates me. Race relations. And what's your background again? I'm everyone? Persian and Jewish. Half Persian Jewish, half is Iran. Iran, yeah. Iran, Iran, Iranian. Iranian. Yeah, okay, cool. No one ran anywhere. But uh, um, the the situation I had, I was doing that joke about my mom's name in the south somewhere, and uh, I was featuring for someone the headliner, uh, and I got a complaint. The the club came like, hey, we got a complaint. Maybe you shouldn't do that joke. So I'm like, can I see it? And then I saw this lady was like, that Persian comic was, I didn't like his joke. And uh, you know, I, uh, but the headliner was awesome. And I'm like, okay, I won't do it. It's not a big deal. It's just fucking one joke. But then the headliner that weekend, oh, she was saying how racist I was. And the headliner had a joke for five minutes where he's doing an Asian accent and he's wearing glasses with Asian Eyes. Eyes? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then he did an Indian accent where he does the Simpsons voice for five minutes. And I was like, I'm yeah. getting shit on. So I go, can I respond to this? So I emailed her. You know, I'm like, hey, I was like the first uh, non black student at University of Illinois to get a uh, black stu- in, in this black studies class, or whatever. I worked on the civil rights or I worked in for Bill Bradley on his race relations campaign. I worked, uh, I was a lawyer for Obama, blah, blah, blah. I just want to know the intent of the joke is to mock, you know, uncomfortableness, whatever. And I like wrote this whole like two paragraph thing. I'm like, I'm sorry if I offended you. And I was like, and by the way, did you see the headliner? (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there is that, that part too. And it goes to what you said about intent. And, uh, and so, you know, and that's the thing though, but some people that are offended, you can't, you know, if she was offended, no, you then can't I feel bad. care. Like, you know, it's, well, you do it's have fun to, about that band Oasis. They didn't give a fuck um, you but know, who you they offended. To, but you but do have to think about that. Of course, you have to think about that at some point. Um, but you also have to accept the fact that you're not for everybody. I was doing a joke about that was off of that Aziz and Zari story earlier in the year, which I still do, oh, right. but I, I took the Aziz story out of it and just made it up where it's like, oh, this guy and this girl, you know? And um, that way the joke could live on. And it's, it, I've got it where it, it consistently does very well now. Like, it, it, it crushes like 99% of the time. But when I first started, it was a little, you know, because I was bringing up the Aziz and people were thinking I was making fun of the Me Too movement, which Same I was with not. The Bill Cosby show. And I remember asking some female comedian friends, like, all right, what do you think of the joke? 
joke and a few of them were like no i like it because i see what you're doing i think it's great and a couple were like i like it but i would drop that line that line's a little i'm like okay okay and then and then one of them was just like no i don't like it and i looked right back at her going that's cool i'm not for everybody i don't fine yeah and then I, I think there was maybe, a, I, I, and then, you know, I didn't even further ask why, because I just realized, look, I got a sample size here, and I don't need to hear why you don't yeah, like the joke. It goes back to it's what fine. your goal Some is people with comedy. don't like, yeah. you're not going to fucking like everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. All right, man, that's Paul uh, Farvar. Yeah. That's right. I said it right. All right. Um, I'm Joe Kilgallen. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, write us a review. It goes a long way. I'll give you a shot on air if you do. And uh, this has been Kilgallen's Pub. Thanks. Cheers. Hey. I said it right.